Ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, join me, the Bizzle, and Maddie G as we dive into Avengers Infinity War. Here we go. Jesse, aka the Bizzle. Yo, the Bizzle. Thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle. Thank you, the Bizzle. Yeah, the Bizzle. Right, the ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, welcome to the long-awaited and official first reaction and analysis of Avengers Infinity War. Here with me, none other, it had to be Maddie G himself, very much looking forward to doing this podcast with him for years now, literally, and I'm going to talk <laughs> about why in a sec that this was actually something we talked about years ago, looking forward to talking about years later. Um, but in the meantime, uh, before we get going on big picture and small picture stuff, and people really quickly, we are going to do about 10 minutes or so of non-spoiler, fully non-spoiler review, and we will let you know when the spoiler warning goes on. So without further ado, welcoming back to the Bizzlecast, Matty G himself, Matt. Hi, uh, glad to be here, and this... I paraphrase Tony Stark's like, this is where we are. This is what it's all been leading to. I don't exactly remember exactly what he says, so I'm not going to do that, but pretend I did. Uh, this really has, though, been 10 years in the making because we are basically – Iron Man 1 came out May 2, 2008. So we are basically exactly 10 years since this MCU thing began, mm-hmm. and now we have Avengers Infinity War, the thing that's been building towards mm-hmm. for 10 years. Yeah, and one thing that I, I, I would love if we, we – I mean, it's going to inevitably be a personal podcast for us on a lot of levels, but um, just something I want to tease about myself for later is that because I was very sick in 2012, didn't see Avengers in the theater, it wasn't really on board yet. It wasn't until like, a Winter Soldier and Guardians in 2014 that I jumped on board, the MCU, mixed with the Black Panther announcement, which then launched my podcast. So for me, this has been sort of four years in the making, stretched out from the 10, if that makes sense so sure i'm still trying to figure out that and, and that's what's great about mcu is it's been picking up people along the way people who just love spider-man and got on board there all that stuff well, we're gonna get into that so matt 
I, I, I do want to talk about a couple podcasts. I mentioned you off mic. We did um, two podcasts almost exactly a year ago, right when Captain America Civil War came out. We did one right before, which was our commentary for the Avengers, which, as we've mm-hmm. commented on, was just a super fun time. We were giddy the entire time and talking over each other in all the best ways. And I listened to some of the Battle of New York stuff we did on my ride back from the suburbs and actually gave me some ideas of stuff in this podcast. But also we did a, an, one of our epically long three hour podcast around that time that started about uh, the state of superheroes on television and ended on sort of state and superheroes in general, especially in the movies. Um, And I released them separately, um, the movies part first, and I listened to that entire like 45, 50 minutes um, earlier today, and it was really interesting to hear how that didn't feel like, if you heard it now and you didn't know when it was, you would feel that that podcast came out six months ago. Um, (laughs) And it's not that we are all, you know, like, you know, professional geniuses or whatever but just that like we had a good sense of the trajectory of superhero movies and that will be something we talk about and and uh i'll I'll have some choice quotes and paraphrases from that conversation but before we get to all that stuff do a quick non-spoiler review here so give it to me lay it on me maddie g avengers infinity war expectations results impressions feelings emotions what do you got my expectations were high but with a little bit of reservation because the sheer scope of what the Russos had to take on where you have 10 years worth of movies and all of this lore nonsense and all of the greater lore of the comics informing all the stories and all these characters and all these settings, there was a small chance the whole thing would fall completely apart just under the weight of itself, but it didn't. I I thought Avengers Infinity War is really 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 good it's got a great bad guy you know really continuing from not as like woke as killmonger was from black panther but definitely a very well fleshed out interesting bad guy with a very good performance behind it definitely sort of the next evolution of the loki type bad guy in the same way that avengers infinity war is the next evolution of the original avengers movie in a lot of ways uh, it's funny, but it's still dark. It's got stakes for whatever that means anymore. Um, and emotional weight. It's dark at times. So like it's doing what the DCEU wants to do, but like way, way better. And it's really, really fun to watch all of these different people interact with each other th- that never have before. And in at least a few scenes, it's clear they're enjoying interacting with each other. So, I think it might actually be in my top three for these MCU movies, maybe even my top five for all superhero movies. I really, really liked it and was not pleasantly surprised, but was just mm-hmm. pleased that it lived up to expectations. Yeah, so um, so I'm immediately going to, uh, in my response, jump into a reference to the State of the Superhero podcast we did in May of 2016. Keep in mind, people, we had seen Deadpool a couple months before. We had unfortunately witnessed Batman v Superman shortly before, although it did lead to our epic three-and-a-half-hour roast of Batman v Superman, which is still a joy to listen to every once in a while. Um, and we had just seen Captain America Civil War, which I think we kind of gave a solid B plus A minus. We liked it. 
it. We didn't, it wasn't as deep as we wanted. There were some issues. Um, but you pointed out in the podcast about the Russos that you thought like you were way more confident after seeing Civil War that they were going to be able to handle something of the scale of Infinity War, almost like they were ramping up. I was not quite as on board, I think, because like the airport battle and stuff didn't speak to me. But I think mm-hmm. you definitely were right in that assessment. And just from a sheer technical and logistical standpoint, you can now see the direct line from Captain America, the Winter Soldier, to Captain America, Civil War, to this, in terms of their ramping up their abilities, I would say. No, I definitely agree with that. You know, the biggest complaint I had about Civil War, that were the one that I agreed with you with, is what they call a Civil War just turns out to be 12 people punching each other in an abandoned like German airport. And it, it very much feels kind of point, not pointless, but it doesn't feel like it has any larger implication other than that. Yes. The Avengers sort of separate, even though they all come back together kind of for infinity war, but infinity war feels like a war. I mean, there are massive, massive, massive battles. There are, it's more or less nonstop action from the opening scene. So it really moves at a quick pace despite being very admittedly very long. Um, so, you know, it, it felt like a war. It felt like it was something on a grander scale than anything I've seen before in the MCU or really in maybe any, like it's up there with star Wars in terms of the, the scope of it. And that, Mm -hmm. Is pretty darn impressive. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that. So, Bizzlecast listeners, Matt definitely knows this, and if you've listened to me at all, you know this, but, you know, I, I grew up a Star Wars guy, first and foremost. I did like reading comic books growing up, and I've grown to love the MCU and a couple other, like, random comic book movies like Wonder Woman and Hellboy and so forth, but in terms of tentpole, legendary, you know, long-running movie franchises, I, I, it's hard for me not to compare things to Star Wars, um, and as also, as you guys know, you know, I'm a, I'm a like a, a radical uh, Whedon fanboy, um, and I see everything about the Avengers and the MCU through the eyes of of Whedon. Um, and so, <clears throat> just, I just want to put that out there to uh, not to recuse myself, but just to let you guys know that I'm going to be as transparent as possible. That I'm aware when I'm making comparisons to things that it's not it is apples to apples sometimes, but it's also going to be apples to oranges at other times. And I'll, I'll try and do one to one comparisons as much as possible. Um, But I will say, man, having seen Infinity War back-to-back nights with two very different crowds, both of whom cheered numerous times, they cheered at uh, well, okay, this will be spoilers, so I'll save it. They cheered numerous times at what I would consider the right points in the movie when I when I was cheering. I was cheering a lot both times mm-hmm. I saw it. I, I have uh, literally, I don't think, no major complaints um, uh, in either of my viewings of the movie. However, two things, to, and this is why I brought in the Whedon and Star Wars things, two things became immediately apparent to me, especially on my second viewing and then thinking on the ride home and listening to our Avengers commentary. The first is... This movie for me has been similar to the way The Last Jedi was for some Star Wars fans. Not the like the real heavy haters, but real, you know, just normal smart Star Wars fans who had problems with Last Jedi or didn't understand it. Um, even though I really liked Infinity War a lot, which was starting to see the 
formula and format bumping up against perceived or actual boundaries, if that makes sense. The limits of what you can do, even when you're re- reaching spectacular highs, um, as, as happened in Infinity War, and as I would argue happened in, in Last Jedi. Um, and the other thing was, though, you know, listening to how giddy we were on our Avengers commentary throughout, but especially, you know, in, in, in the, the, the classic helicarrier scenes and then at the end in New York. I, I can't imagine watching Infinity War, and again, it's so dark, and they kill so many people, and we'll get to spoilers Spoiler. and stuff like that, <laughs> um, but I'm just saying people in general die, like, you know, like, yeah. there's tons of death, like, you know, I mean, it's it's crazy, uh, but but I, I, I never got that sort of giddy, and I don't see myself on repeat viewings getting that sort of giddy feeling I get from the Whedon movies, and I get that's not the point, and I agree the humor in this was excellent, um, and and I think that they were working in both James Gunnian humor and Whedon-esque humor along with Russo humor and other stuff throughout. And it worked pretty flawlessly yeah. for me. But, but back to what but where I started this, this rambling point, you see what I'm saying about like, sometimes you see a movie that's so beautiful and brilliant and almost flawless, but then it makes you realize the limits of the genre and the format, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think a simpler way to... to um to say what you're saying is you watched it and, or, and this is a thought that I had coming out of it is whatever issues I have. And there were a couple, I, I not ones that hurt my enjoyment of it, but stuff that, that I had observed negative observations. I had, I also walked out of it thinking, could this movie have been any better than it was? And I don't know how it could be because of what you're talking about, about the structural limits, about the studio demands that this please all tent poles about the, the inability to really do any character arc stuff because you have 30 characters kind of like Thor has a bit of an arc kind of strange, a little bit star Lord maybe, but there's very little character stuff in any of this. Um, but because of what this movie had to be, I don't know if there was any room for any of that. So could this movie have been any better for what it was? I don't think so. Um, and I think holding it against a hypothetical ideal is unfair because it was, you know, just because of the weight of it, mm-hmm. this was as much as could pro- possibly have been done with this. I, I really think that. I think it was more. Honestly, this was, I wasn't going into this skeptical, but after tiring of comic book movies, but also being so pumped for Black Panther and then seeing and loving Black Panther, right? it got me more excited for Infinity War, but it also dampened my expectations a little bit because of how relatively flawless and ingenious Black Panther was and how Black Panther was able to achieve an epic feeling and scope while still, you know, honing in on, on a pretty specific story. Just, the, you sure. know, that's why like the Winter Soldier by the Russo brothers was the perfect way to start because yes it was technically another possible end of the world scenario but by focusing in on a small handful of characters and a small handful of locations and relationships it's actually very liberating for the directors this was so 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 much more difficult um and so this actually i would say i would agree with everything you just said i think it actually achieved more than i thought was possible given the format and given the limitations and that's why and i think we'll enter into spoilers here guys but so just so you know if you have to leave now i would 
normally give this movie an 8 out of 10, but I'm giving it an 8.5 out of 10 just for the sheer achievement of the entire thing. And if I'm you giving want, it a 9.5. Yeah. I think this was an A. I really do. Cool. Um, All right. Well, guys, well, uh, please go see this movie if you haven't. This probably won't drop until um, Monday the 7th, I guess. So that will have been two weekends. So if you're listening to this. It will still be in theaters. It will still be in theaters. I promise you all it will still be in theaters. It's made $900 million in seven days. Uh, Hasn't even opened in China yet. Um, and, uh, yeah, so this is, this, this could be the one that takes down Titanic finally, um, <laughs> and, and Avatar, hopefully. Um, so go, go watch it and come back because we're going to get into spoilers. Not that I, uh, I mean, I have lots of thoughts that aren't like direct super spoilers, but there's enough stuff I want to talk about specific characters that it would be considered right. spoiler territory. So, yeah. Matt, unless there's anything else you want to add, should we put on the spoiler warning? Yeah, I think so. We're going to start getting into the plot. And if you don't want to know, if you haven't seen this and you don't want to know anything that happens, mm-hmm. stop listening right now and go mm-hmm. see it because I think you'll enjoy it. If you haven't watched any of the other MCU movies, don't start with this one. It will make zero sense. This does rely on you having at least seen all of the Phase 3 movies. Uh, but if you've seen them, if you know who these characters are, I think you'll enjoy this. I think it'd, you'd be hard pressed to not enjoy a movie like this. I think the only like required movies. It, you, you might call me crazy here. <clears throat> if I had to pick like five or six, it would be the previous two Avengers movies, Captain America: Winter Soldier, Captain America: Civil War, and maybe Guardians of the Galaxy would be like maybe the five you kind of need to see for this one. I don't know if you absolutely need to see a Thor or Iron Man movie, even though you should. Um, I think you need to see Doctor Strange because who the hell are these people if you haven't seen that? I think you need to see Thor Ragnarok because the movie opens in the immediate aftermath of the end of that movie. You need to see Black Panther Panther, so you know what Wakanda is. And you need to you should see Spider-Man Homecoming because you need to understand Stark's relationship to Peter to understand a lot of why their interpersonal dynamics are the way that they are. Okay, let's start here. Let's start here. This is perfect. Guys, spoiler warning officially on. Okay. If you had told me that the following characters or groups of characters would be the featured characters in this movie both in terms of themselves and their environments, and that I would actually like it a great amount, and that would take most of the screen time, and I'd be okay with it. I, I wouldn't have believed you. And the, those the people I'm referring to are Spider Man, Doctor Strange, and Guardians of the Galaxy. If you had told me that, even though I liked the first Guardians, I really was turned off by Guardians 2, like big time. That was my biggest disappointment in the last few years. If you had told me that also that this was going to be mostly in space, the Wakanda stuff would be way less than I was expecting. My favorite Avengers on Team Cap with, with Natasha and Scarlet Witch and so forth would be very... Barely in it. Barely in it. If you had told me all of these things, again, I would say, no way I'm giving this movie an eight and a half bordering on, you know, close to nine rating um but against all odds we got my favorite spider-man performance yet we got my favorite doctor strange performance yet we got definitely i know it rubbed people the wrong way but i don't think people fully understand how difficult this was my favorite peter quill performance yet 
I think especially Thor and Quill were the emotional hearts of this movie and how damaged they are and how the problems that they caused and were caused to them and Quill finally being a, a, a selfish, childish dick, you know, may, may cause the destruction of the universe, finally biting him and not just being an endearing quality. I mean, yeah. Chris Pratt has to work hard to be unlikable he's such a likable guy and i give him so much credit the fact that i heard people being like oh i really didn't like star lord in this movie he was such an asshole blah blah blah. i was like yeah guys that was the whole fucking point that was the whole journey of his character right that's probably yeah no i'd probably agree with that um but a lot of people make jokes about what they call the chris wars which are the battles between chris hemsworth thor chris pratt uh, Star-Lord and Chris Evans, Chris Captain America. Yeah. Right now, Chris Hemsworth is blowing away the other two. I'm sorry. I love Chris Evans. He's. I don't know how they would ever have a new Captain America after him when he's done after the next Avengers movie because I'm pretty sure he's done after the next Avengers movie. But this was Thor's movie, and between that and Thor Ragnarok, Hemsworth, his stock is shooting through the roof right now. Yeah. I mean, Captain America's had the best material. Um and Chris Pratt has mostly just had to play himself. Um, and the fact that after each Thor movie, I keep thinking we're going to get an even better Thor movie, you know, like even when it's directed by someone I, I really like, like Taika Waititi and that's something that critics and fans love with Thor Ragnarok, even though I wasn't super crazy about it. But the fact that Thor is always one step ahead of the material. And you know me, man, I've been preaching Thor in the two Avengers movies, like constantly, even Ultron. Like, I feel like I'm the one person who champions Thor's performance in Ultron. It's I over- think you're the one person who champions Ultron. Well, I mean, the, the audience <laughs> scores don't indicate that. I mean, by any metric, yeah. If you go to anything, you know, like I'm not talking about Rotten Tomatoes. I'm talking about verified IMDb, Amazon, like you know, like more serious critic sites, nerds. You know, the same way the Last Jedi nerds have been very vocal and saying this is a horrible Star Wars movie. Forget about the ratings. Ultron split nerds big time, and the people who hated Ultron have just been very vocal. But if you look at the average viewer, which by the way, Ultron still made it 1.4 billion dollars. This is um, certainly true. Which more than Last Jedi and more than Black Panther. Um, it, it's it's on television all the time. Um, I even nerds from the like Modern Myth Media crew who were super critical of. Um, Uh, of that movie when it came out have softened on it and have learned to like aspects of it, which is all I've been asking people to do. I've never been saying, love this movie. I'm saying, look at all these great things in the movie. Um, And I think future performances after it by Thor, by Cap and other, their movies and other movies show it for sure. Um, So yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think that's a, that's, that's not that's a misperception about it, but certainly it divided the fan base. Um, but you know, if there's one thing you can say about Ultron is that it, it still feels like a Whedon movie, even though he bitches about it and you know says that he was forced to set up things and blah blah blah. It still feels like a unified experience. Um, 
I feel like the Russo brothers are just the Marvel voice now. Like, if Kevin Feige could clone himself twice and make himself into <laughs> a creative artistic genius side, like almost like creating Ultron, like if he could create like two Ultron versions of himself, but who are artistic geniuses as opposed to business geniuses, like this is the Marvel voice now. And I'm totally cool with that because the Russos rock and Winter Soldier is still one of my favorite movies. But, you know, but, but we didn't like James Gunn. Their movies still feel like their movies, if that makes sense. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that's leading. No, I think I see what you're saying. The Russos are kind of like J.J. Abrams in that what they are really good at doing is executing at a technical level, like technical filmmaking. They are very, very, very good at executing. In terms of a unique vision, that's more in the James Gunn, Ryan Coogler, Taika Waititi, where all of those movies feel very much like brain children of those directors. And in the case of Gunn, who also wrote the thing, um, or Coogler, who also helped screenwrite Black Panther. Like Those are their movies. The Russos are the MCU's guys. And I'm not trying to suggest they are hacks or studio shills or anything like that, but they are the guys that you can give the big stuff to and say, just make this work, um, and they will make it work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, speaking of which, who's the community not only giving us the Russo brothers, but Donald <laughs> Glover all these years later? It's pretty amazing. Um, yeah. Talk about two superstars in, in, in Disney and in other media. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, no, that wasn't meant at all as a diss of them whatsoever. I, I, no, I, I don't. I honestly, I prefer yeah. their vision to James Gunn. I like James Gunn a lot. I like the first Guardians a lot. I like some of what was in Guardians too. But yeah, I prefer the Russo management, if that makes sense. Um, the J.J. Abrams connection is interesting. I think he's a hybrid. I think he's somewhere between the studio guy and the weeding guy. Because if you watch the first Star Trek reboot and you watch Force Awakens back to back, there is a through line of humor and feeling and sentiment and drama that he does have that's very much his own and i think that some of the better parts of last jedi where where ryan johnson took something and maybe that's what you were saying took something that jj abrams set up in the world building of force awakens made it his own but it was still very connected and i think some of the things that fell flat to people in last jedi was ryan johnson went way off the reservation again not me i love ryan johnson being weird and crazy but not everyone did um and so i think that right for better or worse right J.J. Abrams is now sort of the voice of at least the Star Wars universe. And with Episode Nine coming up, that's clearly the case. Now, again, though, with the standalones with Star Wars, and this will be another interesting comparison, is now, I mean, let's put it this way. The, the, the ability to separate the you know saga Skywalker movies from these standalone right. movies is very easy. Whereas in Marvel, yeah. it's now very hard to separate what's the origin, what's a team-up, what's a semi-team-up, is it Civil War, is it Avengers 2.5, is it the right. prequel to something else is it spoiler alert miss marvel's leading to avengers 4 uh, you know all these sorts of things so like for example you watch rogue one directed by gareth edwards and we're gonna see uh um ron howard's vision of han solo those are uh, very direct like auteur directorial um um 
takes on it, whether you like it or not, whether people like it or not, is, is not really the point I'm making here. It's just that, you know, it, it gives some flexibility to bring in directors to do their own visions in addition to sort of the mainline thing. Whereas in Marvel, for all the movies, and they're releasing, you know, three times more movies per year than Star Wars is, it still all goes through Kevin Feige and the Kevin Feige vision. And the fact that it doesn't feel stable, at, uh, stale at this point is a huge credit to all of them. I do think some of it's just timing. I think the fact that, you know, Ragnarok, Black Panther, and Infinity War all coming uh, back to back to back, mm-hmm. which was something we did, by the way, say two years ago, was going to be amazing that those three movies yeah. lined up, um, specifically on that podcast in a six-month period, worked out is supremely great for them at both just being great movies and great lead-ins to this. I mean, let's be honest. I, I know you like Thor more than me. I do like Ragnarok. I just wasn't crazy about it. I love Black Panther, but they definitely learn from the the way they they used to force directors like Whedon with the Avengers movies to set up stuff. They learned from that, and I think they learned. And I would like you can go into specifics on this, Matt. Is the ways in which you can do setting up in movies like Ragnarok and Black Panther without it seeming transparent whatsoever while it's happening and it not paying mm-hmm. off till later. Whereas you watch Ultron, and even at the time, we're all going, okay, this is clearly a setup and it takes you out of the experience. I think they learned from that. I don't know if you agree with that. The events of Black Panther only like tangentially relate to what happens in Infinity War. And I was just listening to an interview with the Russos where they said, we knew what we were going to do with Wakanda before we knew anything about what was really going to happen other than that we were confident Kugler would do a good job. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's like one line about we're opening up our borders, but probably somebody told them that's what's going to happen at the end of Black Panther. And there's the one line where M'Baku and Black Panther, he's like, thank you for coming. Of course, brother. And that actually, the way that that, 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 that little moment is shot almost seemed to me to be a reshoot moment. Like mm-hmm. the, it's like it was like a little CGI looking and it and it was it, like it was shot from a distance. So they could have done the voiceover s- stuff in a studio and then just slotted it in. So, you know, what I think Feige did right with both uh, Th- Thor Ragnarok and Black Panther was he told the directors, just do whatever you want. You know, I've said before that I've always thought the MCU sees Thor movies as just don't be so bad. You tank the whole thing. So he said, you want to do a wacky, crazy road trip, kind of like Hunt for the Wilder People? Go for it. That's fine with us. Just make an okay Thor movie. And so Waititi had his own little bizarre thing, and it was great. Coogler, you want to do a woke movie that's going to have almost nothing to do with the MCU plot that's all about black identity and race and colonialism? Go for it. No, I agree with you. And again, you know, I I still do really like the Thor first movie. I know I'm again in the minority on that, so I'm not going to keep beating that drum. I I believed in Hemsworth's ability from the beginning from the first Thor movie. So I just feel like I'm reaping the reward of it. Like, I don't even think he's getting better. I think he was always great. He's slightly more comfortable. But when you give them the material, either in a good Thor movie or in parts of a Thor, a good part in a decent Thor movie or an Avengers movie, whatever it is, you give you give Hemsworth the material, he kills it. And as we've speculated, he is the youngest of them, and it still seems like there's a lot more Thor stories to tell. It seems Iron Man and Cap, whether they die or not um, in the next movie or whenever, it seems like Hemsworth is the one Marvel should t- take past the three phases. Um, I don't know if you agree with that. No, I definitely agree, especially because you know people really like Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie, 
Korg and Meek were maybe the highlight of Thor Ragnarok entirely. So, and they aren't in Infinity War, so we would suspect that all three mm-hmm. of those characters survived. I would like to think there would be some more adventures of them going forward. I think after Avengers 4, we are going to lose some of the original, like, six but I don't think Thor is going to be one of them. All right, man. Well, let's dive into favorite moments here because y- <laughs> let me put it this way. I could argue the whole, it was not the, 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 uh, what's the, what am I trying to say? The sum of the parts were greater than the whole, but that's not because right. the whole wasn't great. It's just because the sum of the parts that were summed, if that makes sense, were so many and so awesome, you yeah. know, it, it's hard to put it together. It is a movie of moments. And look, again, sure. Mia Culpa, you know, I just did my Rogue One commentary, which is doing amazingly. Thank you guys out there. And one of the things I really realized about what I like Rogue One is, is that it's basically an A storyline with a one B villain storyline. And otherwise you're following the same group of characters the whole time. And, you know, uh, whereas when you have nine different storylines going on at at once, it can be exhausting and take you out of things. And they handled it so, so well in this movie. But if even if you look at the first Avengers, for the most part, once they get together on the the helicarrier, other than occasionally going to Loki, it's basically an A storyline with the Avengers with occasionally it'll be Loki. So this was a movie of moments. So let me give you just two quick things that I loved about it. And then I want to throw it to you for for your list of, of best moments so the best like single scene for me was definitely thor and rocket when thor was unloading to rocket and rocket was like oh time to be a captain and take finally taking responsibility for you know doing things other than just shooting things and mm-hmm. getting thor to unload and chris hemsworth's performance where he knew you know he's not thor the dummy anymore he's self-aware right. he he falls back on pretending he's kind of dumb or you know uh, unself-aware he you know and he's trying to talk himself up about you know life's challenges and but, but you can see in his eyes like he doesn't even believe it he knows he's damaged at that point and rocket being there for him and you know just allowing him just almost be like a therapist to thor you know which is was so great that was probably my favorite dramatic scene and then my favorite sort of character progression was definitely star lord because all of his douchebaggery i mean one of my biggest complaints about guardians 2 was that chris pat was reduced to being even more of a a, a, like a little bratty little boy the whole time because of the overdone father story with kurt russell um but it starts to pay off in this one because you know he's really starting his his giant uh, and uh and sort of unsupported ego is really starting to corrupt him his his brain for lack of a better word uh the wrong time like the absolute wrong time and the fact that like you knew one of the superheroes was gonna screw up big time that was the only way they would get a lot of good shots on thanos but thanos would still come out on top in this movie was that at least one of the big superheroes was gonna have to major screw up the way tony stark did in age of ultron for example and this was like this was star lord's ultron thing you know where he just he lost it at all the wrong times and then once he realized that he was feeling real emotion emotions it wasn't just douchebaggery anymore it was already too late and he was completely irrational and out of control i love that whole through line i have other moments i just wanted to throw those two in there so i'd love to hear what your top uh either scenes moments character arcs were in, in this film well, Thor and Rocket also have two of the funnier mo- things. I love that Thor keeps calling him Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the, he's like, 
Rocket gives him a fake eye and he's putting it in his like empty eye socket and Rocket's like, you may want to wash that. I carried that between my and Thor goes, why is everything brown? Um, <laughs> but uh, a lot of the um, most of the stuff that I really liked involved the Iron Man, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange team stuff. A lot of the jokes yeah. that I laughed the most at came from that crew. I liked when Spider-Man shows up, he said, what's going on? And Iron Man's like, he's from space. He's trying to steal a necklace from a wizard. Um, I loved when he meets Dr. Strange. like, I'm Peter, Dr. Strange. Oh, we're using our made up names. I'm Spider-Man. I think people miss the joke there that his actual name is Dr. Strange, (laughs) but it's still pretty funny. And then, you know, the two really sad, tough, emotional moments for me, obviously, we're in spoiler territory. We're warned when Thanos throws Gamora off a fucking cliff. Yeah. It's pretty brutal. Uh, and then the other one is when at the end Thanos wins and he literally wipes out half the life in the universe, including half the Avengers. And one of the people who gets wiped away and literally like turns to ash is Spider-Man. And they're on this planet and he's like, Mr. Stark, I don't feel so good. I'm scared. I don't want to go. And he's crying. Tom Holland has a scene in Homecoming where he has been beaten and a parking lot has literally collapsed on him. And he regains consciousness and he's trapped and he thinks he's going to die and he's in pain and he's scared and he's weeping and he's crying for help. And you see the cocky plucky quippy annoying millennial like attitude that you kind of think spider-man wears as armor to like protect against the scare traumatized damaged kid underneath all of that armor dies and you watch it on screen and this is another scene like that and that was heartbreaking and i was talking Hmm. to a uh, a softball player in high school the other day who said she was real into these movies and i asked her what she thought of infinity war and she was like oh i've already seen it twice i'm gonna see it again uh, and I said, that Spider-Man scene. And she's like, oh, my God, that wrecked me. Um, so, you know, I like that. Is clearly it was a scene that spoke to people of that age group. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, really quickly, that Spider-Man scene is, it's, it's not an example of sloppy filmmaking because it was done on purpose. Noticed not a single other person who who was turned to ash whatever's happening we can talk about the other dimensionality stuff which is i the only thing i can think of going on here is that there's another dimension and dr strange is somehow behind it but um no one else suffered and so it, it, and everyone else seemed to have a sense that everyone wasn't dying people weren't sobbing all over the place they were just confused like everyone else seemed to have a sense that something else beyond just death was going on that was a very conscious choice for, to, for him to be the one to actually be suffering and seemingly dying i sometimes wonder if that's a tony stark point of view thing like the, the you know the, the famous scene at the beginning of ultron where he sees everyone dead and so forth it's hard to know because if let's put it this way if there's ever a first person perspective in all the Avengers movies, and it's not like a Captain America movie, it's usually Tony Stark, right? And so that was done for emotionality. I guess what I'm saying is, from a logistical standpoint, it made no sense. But from an emotional standpoint, it was great. it did. uh, Well, it made no sense since no one else was suffering and no one else had that reaction. But No one had that reaction, but some of them did react. Groot reacted. Drax got looked terrified of what was happening to him. Okay. 
Uh, look, flip a coin. I'm not saying it is or isn't. What I'm saying is, it, even if what I'm proposing is the case and it's somewhat incongruent, it was so beautiful and so yeah. perfect at the moment that I don't really care is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, And this gets into this theme of, of quote-unquote stakes. Is Avengers 4 going to be about undoing some of this? Yeah, probably. But nobody except maybe Tony Stark has any idea in that moment that that's possible. You know, maybe Doctor Strange did before he he died, and I do think he is dead. I just think in those 14 million scenarios he ran through, the one that they win is the one where they let this happen. But maybe Iron Man knows that, but no one else does, because, like, literally the only other person in this movie who's alive, who knows Iron uh, Doctor Strange even exists, is Banner. And Banner would have no idea that Strange maybe foresaw that some of this is going on. So in that moment, that death, those deaths feel very, very real. You know, it's why the last line of the movie is Captain America kind of realizing that they've lost and what the cost is. And he just goes, oh, God. And then it cuts to Thanos. Maybe he's on a planet. Maybe he's inside the soul gem, you know, kind of sitting and smiling a little bit. And then it goes black. Um, so, and then there's the stinger. Yeah. For me, the MVP of this film, and this is, again, this is the Bizzles MVP based on expectations, past performance, and past judgments. So I'm not going to give it to Thor, because he's always a fucking MVP, and Cap, and so forth. MVP of this film is Doctor Strange. (laughs) And and the main reason I say that was because, you remember the conversation we had about Doctor Strange. What were my main complaints about that movie? One... I was really sick of origin stories and it took Wonder Woman to reboot me a little bit and being open to origin stories again. So I was really sick of origin stories. I thought the love story was forced. I didn't totally buy the Tilda Swinton thing. Um, And the main problem was I was really having trouble seeing where magic fit from a filmmaking perspective and a viewing perspective in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It felt like we didn't need it. Now, if you know the comics and you know who the Illuminati are and you can bring in the most powerful X-Men, you can bring in the most powerful Fantastic Four, none of whom are with Marvel right now at Disney, it makes more sense. So this was finally when it made sense. Plus his accent is better. His inhabiting the better, much better. His inhabiting the (laughs) role is better. He is still kind of a dick, but he's now a dick for the right reason. And he's being dick at the right person, which is the ultimate dick, who's Tony Stark. And he keeps telling Tony to shut the fuck up because Tony really does need to shut the fuck up on this. Um, I mean, it wouldn't hurt Dr. Strange to explain some things, but that also might be part of his plan. I mean, look, I I hate to get, you know, all super heady Dune, Star Wars, uh, sci-fi, prophetic philosophy, but him saying it was a 14 million to one chance could have been a lie that was manipulating their actual odds. Everything from that moment on with Dr. Strange was a manipulation by him, including the odds thing, including, you know, seeming to not want to give up the time gem and then suddenly give it up. He needed Thanos to think he was being forced to give it up. He did something to that gem and then mixed with the moment where Thor almost killed uh, Thanos at the end. Something happened with that gauntlet that I'm convinced is a part of uh, Dr. Strange's plan or something he felt like he had to do. 
And the burnt image of the gauntlet we get, it's almost as if the gems have fused, and now it's not become an infinity gauntlet with six stones. It's just the gauntlet, I think, right. is what's going on. And obviously, they're not killing off the 90% of the main cast that all disappeared at the end. I mean, you know, we know Samuel, Sammy J and Kobe Smulders are going to be in Captain Marvel in like a year or whatever. Which takes place in the 90s, though, so it's going to start in the past oh, and then God. i think she gets frozen and then she wakes up in the present honestly so she's- i was so pumped about that reveal and my feeling that we were going to get a captain marvel something in the post credits that it, it it more than balanced out the the orange soul gem not being in wakanda and as you pointed out in our conversations off air and i actually said in the recent podcast i felt that the orange soul gem being in wakanda would cheapen the power of the Wakandan. So I think you and I are in agreement that it was yeah. good. The Bizzle was wrong on that particular prediction. No, I agree. Um, with strange, I don't know that I, I, I buy exactly that. He, he planned that out so much to a T. I think he maybe just saw that for them to have a chance, Thanos needs to think he's one and Iron Man needs to survive. I, I, I don't like the idea of knowing every single thing and planting traps in the stones but what I do find interesting is your biggest complaint about Dr. Strange or one of them was that the idea of the time gem and magic made Dr. Strange overpowered. And what I found interesting, and I, I probably agree with you, but then this movie kind of flips that on its head where, yeah, he's really powerful, but if somehow he's defeated or he loses or he chooses to lose, then whoever beats him is way more powerful than anybody else in the galaxy. I mean, mm-hmm. right at the beginning – Bruce says he's already got two infinity stones that already makes him the most powerful being in the universe. And so by the time he gets the time stone, he is already nigh omnipotent. Um, and at that point, getting the mind gem is just to make things easy. Um, so I, I like the way that they kind of spin some of the flaws of Dr. Strange and they, they found a way to wove them constructively into the, into the core of this movie. Look, um, if the Scarlet Witch who, okay, we'll get it out there right now. What I thought was the most important dramatic throughline of the movie, you didn't even like. Nope. So just explain why, well, let me just explain why I liked it, and then okay. I'm happy for your criticism. The reason I liked it was from a, from just from a, a, a theoretical filmmaking perspective, the fact that they kept finding ways to convince themselves and other people and in, in in one another that they didn't need to kill him the whole time in the whole movie. And in the end, they still had to do it and they failed. So he vision dies twice. Um, right. I thought was brilliant. I understand. And again, Matt, I'm not directing this at you, but Marvel fans way more than Star Wars fans do not want romances in their comic book movies. They don't want Banner Natasha. They don't want Natalie Portman uh, Thor. They don't want um, Scarlet Witch Vision. Um, They don't like any of the Rachels in the Dark Knight movies. They don't like Anne Hathaway in the Dark... I mean, I literally can't think of an example of a female character and a male character who male nerds like think that's important whereas in star wars and a lot of other franchises like you can't even conceive of them without romances so um so that's not directed at you at all but just for me personally again being an ultron guy and so we're not going to be able to connect on this argument unfortunately because me loving ultron loving vision ultron loving scarlet 
Scarlet Witch and Ultron, I'm of course going to be more invested. You not being invested, it, it, it would make sense that that would be a, a, you know, a negative point for you, um, in the movie. But I will say there were a lot of great scenes, including the killing of Zoe Saldana. God bless her. One of my favorite actresses and she destroyed the shit out of this movie. Zoe yeah. was just, oh my God. She had to do a lot in this movie and she really yeah. did a great job. Better than she did in the Guardians movies, in part because she wasn't given the same material to work with, but this was her best performance yeah. as Gamora, I, I think. I, I think you'd be hard pressed to argue differently. Yep. Um, so, but, but, but there were, you know, performances like that, scenes like that, carried on right. for a while it's exhausting i'm totally in on it i love it but the fact that the the, the visions carl which thing was being constantly mentioned but not spending that much time on it and then the epic way it was like i, I mean let me put it this way if you get to the end of ultron and you get that that um sweeping side-scrolling shot of iron man vision and thor all blasting ultron at the same time with the music if you're not in the movie at that point and with those characters and with that story then that scene isn't going to resonate with the amazingness that it did with someone like me so i guess what i'm saying is if the build-up to the final shot of her holding off ultron with one hand and killing vision with the other was you weren't into and it wasn't speaking with you then that was clearly uh, a failure of the writers in other parts of the movie, which I'm totally willing to give you that. Okay. I mean, I, I can't speak to other fans of this stuff about what they want. I want, if you I'm, know I'm I right, don't have though. a problem with, you know, I'm right about comic book mail, older male. I don't know comic if you fans. are, you aren't. There are some that are like that and some that aren't. I don't know what the percentages are. I like a romance where I believe the, the romance is there. I, have got no issues with Pepper Potts and Iron Man. I have always been a f- big fan of that relationship, in part because I buy the romance between them. I like Bruce and Nat. I still hope that they're able to work all that shit out and get together at some point. Maybe at the end of four, they go off and live together for a while. It, it should be said that, I mean, the Chris Pratt, uh, Zoe, yeah, chemistry is arguably not there either. Keep going. One of the things that maybe made Guardians 2 not quite as good as Guardians 1 is that that stuff did feel a little bit forced. But sure. that is nowhere near for me what like the problems I had with Vision and Scarlet Witch, where I don't buy their chemistry for a second. Okay. Some of that is because the Vision is not a character. The Vision is a, vo- a vocal tone. I, the, he has... It's no clear motivation. I don't understand what his powers are. I don't understand what he wants or what his agency is or what his motivations are. I think Vision has been a boring character since the origin of it in Ultron. I think Scarlet Witch is okay, but has not been – I don't think Elizabeth Olsen has been given enough good material to really get into why she does what she does or what she can do. I still don't understand her powers. And – you know, the fact that she keeps arguing to save Vision's life, okay, that's lovely, but she is totally fine with them shepherding him off to Wakanda, where they're going to literally put human lives at risk, a lot of them, to save her robot boyfriend. Like, Yeah, well, that's, to- that's a writing problem. That's a huge writing problem. Okay, I- that's fine, but these aren't real people, so they are the product of their writing. I, and I think Scarlet Witch and The Vision have not been right. well... No, I, I'm just trying to delineate the lines of disagreement, which is I do buy enough of the chemistry to make me get into it, and I do think both those actors are excellent actors, so I, I would oh, I, put all, the, I would put all of actors. it on the writing. And yes, I would have handled the build-up differently, but I love the climax at the end, I'm not going to lie. You know, but again, 
You know, it's this is the Ultron split. I love what Joss Whedon did with Ultron, and I don't think Marvel's been as good since he left, uh, even with all the new movies. I just don't. I'm not saying it would have continued to be great, but I, like, I disagree. I, my, I, I, I know you disagree, but departure. I understand. But I got to get this part out while we talk about the Avengers yeah. for the rest of the podcast, which is just that. You know, the things that people complained, like, let's put it this way. Some of the things people complain about with Ultron, like Thor in the cave, I agree with. But my response is the opposite, which is they should have been able to double down on scenes like that and go even further into exploring them, not just cut things out, um, for example, and then not be forced to set up things other way. So I, I, I guess what I'm saying, Matt, and I'm sorry for the interruptions, I'll, I'll, I'll limit myself, but it's just frustrating because... It comes off as sounding like I just don't want to like any of these movies. It's just that I have a certain vision of the Avengers that I just can't shake because that came from the Joss Whedon vision. Um, and so I'm trying to make that work with what's going on. Scarlet Witch was a Joss Whedon decision. Yeah. Quicksilver, Joss Whedon decision. Ultron, Joss Whedon decision. Vision, Joss Whedon decision. He was supposed to do all three or maybe more. So yeah, I can, I, I can see where maybe they don't have a handle on them. And let's be honest, Natasha, as much as people have come to love Black Widow, she was not liked after Iron Man 2. It really took until Winter Soldier for people to o- really openly embrace Natasha across the board. But she also needs good writing as well. Um, but I, I, I hear you, man. I hear you. I just, I do by the chemistry. And so it's like one of those, like, maybe we should just move on because we're never going to agree on. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you bring up Iron Man two, Iron Man two is widely regarded as one of the three worst of these MCU movies. So I don't think anybody really holds Scarlett Johansson's portrayal in that against her. The whole movie was just spinning its Mm -hmm. wheels until they could get to the Avengers. I also think that was their first and last time experimenting with eye candy and like Kevin Feige to exploit Scarlett Johansson in that cynical way. You know, he's more than made up for it, but you know, that was not a smart choice. I mean, the whole movie was like NASCAR, right? I mean, it was like, uh, it was so There's literally IndyCar to start in the middle of that movie. (laughs) Yeah. It feels Um, like, it feels like, it feels like a, like, yeah, like a down home American movie It's crazy. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I hear you, man. I hear you, man. I guess I just felt drags in so many other places and I have so many other relationships. I don't totally buy that. The, the, particularly Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen doesn't track as one of those relationships. The one I've never bought and never wanted to happen and still don't like is Peter Quill and Gamora. And it would have been better, in my opinion, as an aspiring writer, for his rage to be like a rage of a sister slash uh, brother slash friend, you know, who maybe they dabbled in romance or whatever. And when she says, I love you more than anything, I just, I buy it because Zoe Saldana is brilliant, but I don't buy that that duo. Yeah. I don't buy that Gamora would ever truly fall in love romantically with a guy like that. But maybe, I don't know. Especially because it's not entirely clear that they even like, like each other i I don't think they like each other at all in the first movie and then i i guess they sort of start to get along in the second one but Mm -hmm. you're right their bond is weird because when they take a walk right when they first meet ego and he says you know i want family and she says i thought you had one that the family she's describing doesn't seem to be the family of boyfriend girlfriend husband and wife it seems to be the family of brother sister parents um even though they are probably two of the old, I, so you're right. Their their relationship, the way they relate to each other, has been kind of confused over these three movies. And when he she says "I love you," it's it's kind of weird. Um, 
Now, also, when he actually oh, sorry, has to shoot her and yes. it turns to bubbles, yep. that's a pretty rough scene. It's Fucked also up. the only scene that has real like body horror where he turns like Mantis into a slinky and turns Drax into like cubes of concrete that was, that awesome. was fucked up i mean that was why, why not kill him though why not kill him why why, why don't they just question. be dead yeah uh, to quote um to quote the first uh star trek be- reboot why bother why waste the weapon right <laughs> right he didn't have to i mean he doesn't seem to want to kill oddly enough he doesn't seem to want to kill all these avengers and p and all these people even though he wants to kill like literally half the universe, yeah. he doesn't feel like he needs to kill anybody along the way if he can avoid it, even though every planet he goes to, he does slaughter millions. So yeah. I don't know, but for whatever reason, he likes these Avengers. Um, yep. he, he's like fond of them. He thinks they're cute or something. So um, uh, two, just two more quick things about, um, about Wanda and Vision, and then we move on to related characters from the sort of you know, uh, Avengers on the run team, um, like, who I love so much. One is, you know, they are relying on the fact that comic book nerds know that Vision and Wanda are together in the comics, so whatever. That right. should not factor in. But two, um, they are uh, literally came from the same stuff. I mean, they both exist in their own ways because of the mind gem. Like, her whole pa- powers yeah. and her whole destiny because of those powers come from that goddamn thing and his physical life depends on it. She's literally, that's why they're attracted to each other. And she's literally the only one who can kill him. Basically. I mean, I guess Thanos could kill him, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Thanos did kill him. So I, I just hard. <laughs> let, let, let me, I, I just think we can give them points for trying to make connections. Even if the chemistry didn't come off for everybody, like yeah, for sure, example, we can give them points, but it doesn't mean I don't think that was maybe the weakest part of the movie. Maybe, but I, I, but I would argue that just from a writing standpoint, they've made more reasons why vision and Wanda would fall in love than banner and uh and that um that was, i agree with that yeah um so we'll just end there um and then let's jump to cap people in both theaters cheered greatly when captain america came on screen and they cheered. it was awesome yeah and they cheered you great- want to talk about awesome moments when he catches that spear that okay. was so matt awesome. what, what was what movie am i thinking of that i still can't put my finger on with the train like you know the vision and wanda are cornered and then the train but you can't even see cat but you have a feeling something's happening behind the train i'm like is this a matrix thing is this like a speed thing like i can't i can't place it but it reminded me of a movie scene of him appearing behind the train maybe x-men i don't know um did that hit you as uncanny in a way when you saw that? Like you knew immediately when the train came by that someone was there. I don't know why I thought that. No, I okay. no I, Iron Man. I mean, I I was sort of waiting. I wonder when Iron Man is gonna. Sh- I when when is Captain America gonna show up? But when he shows up, it caught me by surprise, and it was with a bang. I mean, when he catches that thing, that was pretty awesome. I mean, look. You know, I've made a lot of predictions over the years. I've been wrong about a lot of them. But one of the first ones I made and I've always stuck with was I felt Captain America was going to keep becoming more and more America's favorite, you know, sweetheart comic book character and that it would be connected with Black Panther. I couldn't believe it would happen so seamlessly and brilliantly in this movie. But it's Mm -hmm. unarguable in both audiences. The two biggest cheers by far were the Cap reveal and the Wakanda reveal. I mean, people were cheering white and black in both audiences I saw. And because those are the two favorite parts for me of the cinematic universe, I'm going to throw it to you about Cap and Company. That just mm-hmm. put a giant smile on my face, as big as anything going on on screen. 
I mean, there were definitely people that shouted Wakanda forever when Wakanda showed up. Um, so, I mean, the Wakanda thing, I kind of knew it was coming. And unfortunately, the best joke from that bit was spoiled by the trailers. The This isn't what I thought would the happen Starbucks. when you said opening your borders. What did you think would happen? I don't know. The Olympics, maybe a Starbucks. <laughs> but it was still pretty – it was, a, you know, it was nice to see Wakanda again. And, uh, you know, the, the other really badass moment, when Thor shows up at the end with Stormbreaker, where the lightning is, like, coursing out of his eyeballs, dude, that was pretty dude, awesome. I lost I, it. I, yeah. Me, personally, in both scre- screen- screenings, I was, like, shouting, po- like, po- profanities, <laughs> like, in a good way at the screen with the Thor stuff. I'm like, finally, three Avengers movies, three Thor movies, finally getting the full Thor display with the lightning. The axe yep. is even cooler than the hammer. I don't know if you know the sensation that is the God of War video game right now. I played uh, it once or twice. Uh, the PlayStation. Not the new one. I played the original. It's, yeah, yeah. They, they used to be just, like, very gratuitous, bloody action games where he's killing all the greek gods but now he's like apparently moved on to scandinavia and has a son with a local woman and he's like trying to reform his ways he's going up against the things it's just funny because the game literally just came out it's like the best selling game on the last like three years and he's got an axe almost exactly like thor's axe and so to see that on display was just glorious i knew that he used an axe in the comics but i i forgot and it still kind of took me by surprise did that all um add up for you the the the, the going to get the weapon, the making of the weapon, the type of weapon that it was, and so forth, um, as, as you were watching it? A lot of – some of the podcasts I've listened to reviewing it thought we're all sort of in agreement that it takes a little while to get to why they're spending so much time going to Na- Navalier or whatever it's called. Hashtag Peter uh, Dinklage. Yeah, but it, it pays off. And if, if you want to talk about what I was talking about, about the scale and the scope of this movie, the final battle – literally takes place on two different planets simultaneously while Thor, a CGI raccoon, a talking tree, and a giant Peter Dinklage restart a star. It was genius. If you can't have fun with that, then don't watch Marvel movies. Don't watch comic book movies because that is like as much as I could ever want from a movie about made up people in goofy costumes. I mean, that's just bananas. People have so bought into these characters. It's un believable i can't believe the social after so many spider-man movies that made so much money and are have been running endlessly on television for 15 years for this now the new spider-man movie which i couldn't stand but i understand why people like is such a cultural sensation i mean it's Mm -hmm. unbelievable and actually dude i wanted to mention about spidey really quickly if you don't mind you said talked about before you know the the old cliche of spider-man being quippy and annoying right I find Tom Holland to be endearing, brilliant, thoughtful. Like, I think my problem is I don't like the Spider-Man stereotype and I don't like them fitting him into it because he's all better things than the things I don't like about the Spider-Man stereotype, which is why I love him with Tony and Doctor Strange and everyone. He's so great in the team movies. that when That's the thing, man. That's the other thing about Avengers and Whedon and and now the Civil War movies and, and this one is I'm so spoiled with the great team ups that the solos have to be really really good for me to like yeah watch them a lot or they have to do different things like when we were talking about black panther yes. what we were both kind of in agreement is team there's no way the avengers was going to be as thoughtful as the black panther was because the avengers movies have never been like there's never been a point to them like what's the point of the first avengers movie that it's good to have friends 
I mean, that's really the only message of it. Maybe Ultron is about how actions have consequences, but there's not much of a point larger than that. But so if you're going to well, do Ultron it, had way more of a point philosophically. It was definitely the lesser movie and less people liked it. But yeah, philosophically, well, the original it, Avengers was just a hole in the sky killing aliens. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to have friends. You know, it's good to overcome differences and, and have communication because you can form cool teams. You know, what we wanted was Avengers Infinity War to be fun because it wasn't going to be good in the same way Black Panther was, but it didn't want to, it, it shouldn't try to be, and the Russos didn't. They just made a very fun movie that was also quite dark and sad and somber at times. Um, so uh, I also wanted to comment about uh, you referenced my criticism, I guess, at the time of Doctor Strange being overpowered, which. Right. I'm glad you brought that up. I forgot that specific criticism tonight while thinking about this podcast. Obviously, I, I know that I felt that way at the time. But then you see Thanos and his army, and you're like, we need as much OP as we can fucking get. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that is why Thor at the end is so glorious, is because Doctor Strange, yes, with Iron Man, who's way overpowered. I'll say it again, guys. This is my one nerdy, annoying comic book thing. I grew up reading War Machine and Iron Man regularly. Iron Man is so, so overpowered now they could easily solve this by just saying that he hooked up with wakanda in the last few months and has vibranium everything because his nanotechnology seems to be as good as theirs which makes no sense whatever the point is dr strange is really the one holding thanos at bay from a big picture standpoint until thor at the end and my among my disappointments that i never vocalized man until now actually about thor ragnarok was even though I didn't love Doctor Strange, the movie, I was excited for a pretty significant role of Doctor Strange and Thor Ragnarok. And to be honest with you, I would have flipped the screen times of Doctor Strange and Hulk a little bit in that movie. I think we could have gotten a lot of that same Hulk, a little bit less time in Ragnarok. Also, I think Mark Ruffalo is not being well-written for. I think Joss knew how to write him subtle and reserved, and now he's like all manic and all over the place constantly. It's funny, yeah. but I don't think it rings true. I just think, look, I think certain directors know how to write for certain characters, right? And this is just something people need to get used to. Like, Joss knew how to write for the original Avengers team, but the Russo brothers know how to write for Nat. They know how to write for uh, Cap. Cap. They know how to write for fucking um, Falcon. You know. Although to be clear, they didn't write any of these movies. Those were written by all of yeah, the sorry. ones the Russo directed. Um, yes, yeah, right. Stephen McFeely and Christopher mm -hmm. Marcus. Yep. So we have to give them as credit. Just, as Joss Whedon said, the the third and fourth Russo brothers in his in his right. uh, his Twitter post. Um, and Marcus and McFeely wrote the first Avenger too. So. They know they get Cap, um, which was a movie that was hamstrung by being an origin story movie. Uh, if they had just yeah. been able to make that a straight ahead movie, that would have been one of the better MCU movies. It's probably the best uh, first movie of any of the original characters. Um, mm, I liked Iron Man more. Yeah, I like Thor and more. And I like Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy more. I like Thor more, so I guess Cap's the worst. It's, uh, it's no, the Incredible Hulk is the worst, but because you forgot it existed until I just said that. Um, yeah well not except that i love banner i love the weeded banner and i don't think we've gotten yeah. as good banner since weeden's been gone um I, I also i have a suspicion that mark ruffalo is just kind of like weird and spastic a little bit like his bruce banner is starting to drift into the uh the resendez you know what's his name mark resendez from spotlight the kind of twitchy overacting they knew like I, I get the sense that just mark ruffalo maybe is like that a little bit and maybe we didn't just knew how to rein him in a bit 
can, I, I mean, can I don't want to get too inside the actor's studio on you, <laughs> but I have seen uh, multiple extended interviews that Ruffalo and Whedon did together a few years ago. Right. And he is very effusive. He's definitely closer to the, oh, you guys are totally screwed now, uh, Ruffalo, than he is to the, I put a bullet in my mouth and spit it out the other end, Ruffalo. I mean, right. he is effusive. And yeah. he loves Joss Whedon. And one of the talks they did, I don't know if you know, the NYU film making school, you know, they bring in... Heard two, of it. Well, the way, the, the way at Wesleyan, you know, like yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. Marty would show up and people, you know, like... Who? What's Marty? that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Marty Scorsese. Who? Martin Scorsese. Oh, Martin Scorsese. Marty. What are you kidding me? <laughs> that, was, that was a joke at Janine, who's, who runs the film department at Wesleyan, who's friends with everybody in Hollywood. And he, he, ah, okay. he, he insisted the kids call him Marty. I'm not making this okay. up. So it's, yeah, Martin Scorsese. It doesn't help that there's a famous movie called Marty. So I, I okay. was like, I did. So, yeah. So anyways, NYU had um, Ruffalo interview Whedon. In, in the quote-unquote aftermath of Avengers Age of Ultron, which I still want to point out is one of the ten highest-grossing movies of all time. Um, right. And uh, he, Joss is so full of self-loathing uh, and self-criticism about the whole thing, and Ruffalo is just like, dude, we made some mistakes. The movie was still awesome. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, he's trying to give a pep talk to Whedon the whole time. But they are talking about film theory and stuff like that. Ruffalo is a right. very upbeat, optimistic guy. Um, but he's also an actor that's, that can be very broad, but also super subtle. I prefer him subtle. Right. Joss Whedon wrote him subtle. The Russo brothers have been writing, or, or I should say, the other Marvel directors have been writing him more broadly. Um, thoughts on, on Mark Ruffalo and Bruce Banner? Well... I would, I still probably would agree with you that the best Bruce Banner performance we've gotten has been from the original The Avengers written by Joss Whedon. I would agree with you there. But I actually think uh, the more recent films have done more with actually making a character out of the Hulk. You know, Whedon said, and this is a direct quote, the Hulk is a werewolf story. You know, that the man turns into the uncontrollable monster of which he's deeply ashamed. Taika Waititi and, to a lesser extent, the Russos managed hmm. to actually figure out a character for the Hulk. And in that way, I think there were what they have done with the creature has been surpassed what Whedon did, where you know Taika Waititi presents him as not just violent but childish. So, like when Thor asks him, "What have you been doing?" he goes, "Winning," and he acts like a teenager. And now here, he doesn't want to come out because he is ashamed and humiliated about getting his ass spanked by Thanos. Um, like that's where all of this performance anxiety jokes that Bruce is having in infinity war come from is the Hulk doesn't want to come out cause he doesn't want to lose again, you know, because he is an inherently juvenile minded creature. And that conception is not something I think you have in either the Avengers or Age of Ultron. I think Whedon presented the Hulk in those movies as the monster that Banner is ashamed of. He, the Russo, uh, Waititi and the Russos more conceived the Hulk as an alternate personality that Banner is trying to reconcile with. I think the dynamics are actually different. Yeah, but I think they actually are more in line than they seem on the surface because... Um Sean Gerber, who used to do Modern Myth Media with, by the way, Paul Herbert, man, 
the crazy brilliant nerd that is Paul Herman I got on the podcast to talk Star Wars and Marvel next week is going to be hilarious. Um, he's on like a thousand podcasts. He just he's just like just he's one of the few blunt podcasters, prolific podcasters and nerd territory out there. I know. But anyway, him and Sean did the Modern Myth Media one. Sean grew up a DC guy. He was a Batman Superman guy, but he loved the Hulk and he but he loved. You'll probably know this better. There was, you know, a couple versions of Banner or, or of the Hulk that were more human, as you were describing, more relatable than others. And Sean Gerber just talked about how he saw Avengers in 2012. It was like the first time he had ever seen the, the Hulk that he wanted to see. He didn't want to see the Hulk that could never be saved, that could never change, that could, you know what I mean? Like, right. he, he wanted the, the smart Hulk and the Hulk that wanted to, to be in control and, and, and do the right thing and so forth. So I think a lot of Hulk fans have been excited by that and, and people have been rolling with his character changes. Uh, I, I think it's great. I, I don't have any actual criticism of it. It's just been just noticeable to me when I go back and watch the original Avengers movie and then you watch Banner now. Like it's just an interesting emotional journey he's going through. Yeah, I agree. Um you know I I I I still think that ultimately the Hulk isn't really a character in the Avengers. You know, his the final fight, which is amazing and people cheered when they saw it and I think some of that is just because the original Hulk, the Ang Lee movie was so weird and incredible. Hulk was utterly forgettable. Um, and if you think I'm wrong, tell me what happens in that movie and I'll believe you. Um, but I don't even you know, know who directed it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. It was written by Zach Penn and, and directed and I have Wikipedia open. I don't know this off the top of my head. Louis Leterrier. I have no idea who that is anyway, hmm. you know, but what happens in the final scene? Hulk shows up, punches the giant space turtle Cap says smash, and then with pretty much no regard for anything, he just runs around smashing and punching all the bad guys oh, yeah. and Thor. Oh, yeah. So he's not really like he doesn't yeah. have aims, he doesn't have motivation. He's kind of like carries a little bit of the residual pissed offness that Bruce has towards Loki, which is why he mm. throws him around like a ragdoll. But it isn't really until Ragnarok where we start to see the Hulk as a character and not just the monster. That was uh, that's something I give tons of credit to Ragnarok is I never thought we could watch 45 minutes of Hulk just being Hulk on screen and it working and they they totally pulled it off. Um yeah. No, no. I I totally agree. And guys, for those of you who want to know how professional Matt and I are, um, when the Hulk punched a dinosaur creature in the face for the first time in the Battle of New York, we literally spent 15 seconds just going, oh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that was the best we got at that point. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I miss, I miss that just, you know, just like edge of your seat. Like you want to jump in there and start fighting. I get the stakes are so high and epic now. I hope they can return to what's now seeming like a mid-level Avengers movies, like the old Avengers movies, right? Or some of the other team ups. Um, uh, I mean, I don't want to stop on the characters, but this is an interesting question. Does Marvel need to find a sort of third category where it's not just a solo origin or origin plus story and it's not just a massive superhero team up, but it's sort of in the middle like Civil War, but maybe even a little bit more like low key? Well, I think they kind of tried to do that with the Defenders, but it didn't work because they made crappy decisions and they decided iron fist was going to be the core of like the plot of the defenders. So I I don't know. I would also say 
in 2008, I was 25. Now I'm 35. I don't know if I'm ever going to really see anything that's going to get that giddy reaction out of me because I'm older and I'm way more cynical and I'm way more like fatalist in my opinion about humanity in the wake of uh, the these two years of this ridiculous presidency. So unless my own theory. mentality drastically changes, I just don't see any There's one. movie – getting this react that reaction out of me ever again and it's not about quality it's about age T- to quote yoda no there is another um superman if they got like a hugh jackman gal gadot ryan reynolds level guy to like young and take over the superhero the superman franchise i think you would get extremely giddy about that and i would too and i'm not even a superman guy that or if they could finally get the fucking Green Lanterns right. Um, <laughs> I, like a really cool, spacey, weird Green Lantern core movie, which I guess they were going to do until, I, I mean, I don't know what the state of the DCEU is anymore, and honestly, I don't care. Um, well, the problem I, is the best thing they got going for them is Wonder Woman and Themyscira, which is very Earth and mythological based. So right. if Aquaman can somehow be good, that actually fits really well with that approach of being, uh, you know, mythological based. And people are obsessed with mythology. Like I said, God of War, Vikings is a popular show. Like people, Game of Thrones, like people love this right. shit. Um, so they could do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but let's return to this. I have a hunch oh, no, that the popularity of God of War has more to do with the main character being a brawny white dude. <sighs> Who goes? Err. Now that might not be the case for you. No, no, no. It was some- the case, but the new game is like it's basically not even the same character. It's like the new okay. Tomb Raider versus the old Tomb Raider. Like it's it's yeah. He's got a son, and he like he's a sap, and like he's he, he talks. It's 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 completely different. Yeah, the old games were it's oh so over the top ridiculous. But what I'm and saying they, is people do like the white the- guys who want to play characters. Yeah. They go err a lot. I re- I really believe that. I can definitively uh, but- say I know a lot of black nerds that also like to play characters like. Men, women, I don't know, but men of all colors, like murderous that is distinctly, heroes. That is distinctly possible. I should not assume that only white people would want to play a yeah. white protagonist. Yeah, but the games that sell the best, like Uncharted, Horizon Zero Dawn, and so forth, are played almost equally by men and women. So you know there is hope. But um, the, the mythology thing could work for DC. Let's jump back though. You mentioned space. Um, yeah. Here's my thing, Matt. You know this, but again, I gotta say it for Bizzle Cast listeners, I love space. Love space, grew, grew up reading science fiction, reading about astronomy and cosmology, l- memorizing star charts. I love fucking space. I'd go to Mars if I could. And I love Star Wars. It's my favorite movie franchise. Always is, always will be. I actually was pretty proud, excited about their vision of visions of space in this movie. And I have not been in the recent Guardians of the Galaxy and other movies. I thought everything from the ship design to the planets to Peter Dinklage's star that needed to be rebooted, reforging the sword, just like Return of the King, you know? I mean, like... Yep. I, I don't know about you, but like I sometimes complain about sort of lack of logistics with these space battles. But the Star Wars have almost movies have almost been oppressively logistical with the space battles because that's what Lucas did. That I almost appreciate the like let's just create the biggest motherships and the giant stargates possible and these giant you know dusty craggy planets with magic going on. And yeah, I don't know. I, on paper, it would seem this wouldn't be something the Bizzle would love, but I love their vision of space. Thoughts. I think their approach to space is let's make it as big 
and alien and ridiculous and grand as we can. And that's kind of what I want because all of this is made up and all of this is illogical and all of it is kind of goofy. And so let's go over the top. Let's have a giant Peter Dinklage with stone hands making a sword out of a dying who's still a dwarf. star. Who's still a right. dwarf. It's so right. genius. How did they come up with it? I think they used the same camera tricks that Lord of the Rings did. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> I mean, the fact that they cast a guy who is a little person slash dwarf to be a giant person, but who in the mythology of Thor is called a dwarf and his race is dwarfs. It's crazy. Yeah. Right. You know, and what they did is, I find it interesting that the the stuff in space tends to be more colorful than the stuff on Earth, but not to the point of being garish, which is one of the problems I have with Guardians 2. And to a lesser extent, Guardians 1 sure. is just the color almost looks like somebody ate a bunch of like Skittles and puked. Um, the, the fireworks scene at the end of Guardians 2 is especially a little hard on the eyes. Um, Guardians, 10 minutes of Guardians 2 is more than one, if you really look at it. One was very restrained on that sort of LCD, yeah. uh, uh, LCD um, LSD montage. Go ahead. Now, I still prefer overly colorful to the DCEU's covered in mud like color scheme, except for parts of Wonder Woman. Yeah, I was going to say, fucking No Man's Land was Themyscira covered in mud. is bright as hell, but, but I mean, that's a worse No, but it's still no restrained, though. It's very right. green and verdant, but it's not, you know, like crazy primary colors um, right. and stuff. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, but the color doesn't look washed out on Themyscira, whereas, look, in a war movie, I can understand washing it out. I don't know why every scene in BVS and Justice League needs to look covered in crap because it's like salt snyder filter i mean i talked about this in my recent podcast with i don't know was it britney or whoever like he decides on a filter before each movie like there was the 300 red filter right and then bvs had like a you know like brownish blue filter filter, and then it's a yellow one for justice league well Um, some of that was weeded like that's that is not the the filter not the filter the orange stuff that was weeded recoloring blue shots like that people have analyzed the same scenes in trailers versus the final product very clearly we didn't try to change the color scheme to lighten stuff up and a lot of that was those orange stuff oh yeah no we're saying the same thing i agree with you i'm talking about the i'm sorry i'm talking about the overlay the initial overlay that that snyder oh no that was a lot of that snyder's stuff we didn't changed a lot some of that i don't think he changed it for the better because i think it just looked ridiculous because it made it look like two movies but he was stuck. I mean, I, I, I have quite, like major issues with what Whedon did, like on an artistic level. But I also understand he inherited a super rotten foundation, and there was okay. no way to save All right. it. All right. But, this is going to be officially the Bizzle sidebar, and then we'll come back and we'll we'll, we'll wrap up final segment on Infinity War for now. Official okay. Bizzle sidebar. Do you really feel confident that you know where Zack Snyder ended and where Joss Whedon began? No, I don't. In the Justice League. No, okay. not at all. I appreciate your honesty because I have a lot of people I talk with who think they know exactly where it ended. And it began with a genius Academy Award level three hour Zack Snyder cut and ended with a Joss Whedon sabotage piece of shit. Um, no, I don't believe that at all. Uh, I think there are definitely moments where I can tell that it was added like when after one of the fights, there's like a cut scene of Batman lying on the ground going, I'm bleeding. That was definitely a Whedon add-on, and it looked added in later. I mean, it, it just – suddenly the music changed, and the lighting was different. Like, that scene, 
I am positive Whedon added in. But no, I don't know everything, all the changes that were made at all. I, I have never pretended that I did. And um, people have to realize that, like, you know, I mean, look, that movie was two directors. Rogue One had multiple passes. Han Solo yeah. movies had numerous directors. Ugh. And you, what is your disgust with Han Solo? You don't like Ron Howard? Is that is that the thing? No, I don't like so. I don't like, and I loved Alden Ehrenreich in uh, Hail Caesar, which is one of my favorite movies that came out this year. And okay. honestly, at this point, might be my favorite Coen Brothers movie. Go on. His lines, his line delivery is shitty. I, I have been bored and uninterested okay. in his portrayal of Solo so far. Okay. And the last Jedi's point was kill the past and make it or l- bury it if you have to. And what we are getting is a movie in the past about a character's origin that nobody wanted. So I don't know why Disney decided to do this next, but it seems to be completely flying in the face of the point that they were making in their last movie. I don't have a problem with Daniel, uh, with Glover or any of the other characters. I'm sure they'll be good, but I think the guy playing young solo and the way young solo has been portrayed is bad. And to quote you, if the main, if the character, if the character, the movie is named after is not as good as the side characters, that's kind of a problem. Your one of your valid complaints about black Panther is black Panther is a little plain and boring. No, that was your complaint. That wasn't my complaint. I said he's, you're that right. was not my complaint. No, I said right, I sympathize right. with where right. you you're were coming right. from, yeah. but I didn't agree with that. And I thought Bozeman again tonight, by the way, with tiny little bits, nailed it. I think all you have to do is watch Civil War, and Bucky and, the, and fucking Black Panther are the most compelling people in Civil War you're by right. far. I am characterizing your response. No, but, I, what, but yeah, I, but it's fair. Go ahead. What I think you did say is one way that you thought Wonder Woman had an advantage over Black Panther is that Wonder Woman, the character, yes. was the most interesting character in the movie called Wonder Woman. Yes. Whereas Black Panther was maybe not the most interesting character at all times yeah. in a movie called Black Panther. Yep. I think you're right about that. Yep. But the same criticism has to be applied to Solo. If the Trailers, movie Solo, by the way, that, from the yes, guy who yes. says he doesn't put much stock in trailers. You're putting that it all in the fair. trailers. That is certainly true. But if it turns out that Solo is not as interesting as the site, as the other characters, yeah. as young Lando or Chewie or... or Millie Clark looks awesome. Yeah. That's a problem. I, I, the, val- the criticism has to hold across all franchises. Look, we, we, can't, we can't fully talk about this until we see the movie. I disagree with no, the perception true. again, but I will say the following. A, what you're describing is the there's no way young Han is going to be as interesting as young Lando scenario, um, especially with Donald Glover. I think a lot of people think that might be the case and that the spinoffs were going to be more about Lando than Han. I have to say, Matt, your specific statement, nobody wanted this movie. I can guarantee you there's about a billion dollars of people (laughs) in this country who I listen to incessantly from all over the world, genders, ages, who share your concerns. But definitely want this movie. They want Fair multiples enough. of these movies. I didn't movies. want this movie. Sure. That's fine. I should, well, I should and not generalize. I get mad when other people do. It is fine. But look, we've talked about this. We're Luke guys, right? Like, Luke was our guy. We just got an unbelievable Luke movies. Han's dead. We're ready to move on. I understand what you're saying. But bottom line is, people do want the movie. And I think right. that it could be funny and entertaining, even if his performance is, let's say, oh, I don't know. Like, Dad? no, no, no. I'm trying to compare it to like a movie where 
like a movie like this where the performance is, is serviceable. You know, like Jennifer Lawrence in The Hunger Games, but better. You know, like a better movie, but similar level of commitment or whatever. You know, yeah. like you can kind of tell J Law is mailing it in in The Hunger Games movies. I hate to say it, like I think certainly by the third and the fourth one, that might be the yeah. case. But um, anyway, maybe the, even by the second one. The point is, it's already selling out as much, almost as much as Infinity War. I had to buy multiple sets of tickets to guarantee seats. It's going to make 150 to 200 million opening weekend, and no one's even talking about it. And that's just the power of Star Wars. Like the 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 Avengers. Let's let's you know what? Let's talk meta a little bit here because I actually don't want to do a Star Wars podcast because I've been doing so fucking that's many fine. of them. I don't um, want to talk about Solo. So I, uh, we, I, I know, but I have other questions for you about Star Wars. But I just we'll have to save that because I want to talk about Avengers. Avengers. Yeah. As you pointed out, leading up to Civil War in that podcast, you said there were two things that going into Civil War were sort of holding you down a little bit, and I agreed on both of them. One was just the bad experience that was BVS in terms of superheroes fighting each other, yeah. Um, and the other one was just the ridiculous amount of like marketing and advertisement and ad placement and stuff. Both true for Civil War. Um, and you and I agreed the movie was generally good enough to overcome most of that. But it, let's be honest, like Star Wars is, is, is excelled in marketing for 40 years, but they pick their battles. They don't have to push things as hard relatively um, as, as Marvel does. I mean, can you even, can we go a little meta here? Well, I saved box office for an hour and a half. You should be very proud of me. Um, do, do, can you imagine, like I'm honestly asking your opinion about what you think this movie cost top to bottom. Infinity War Part One or whatever it is, what did this movie cost in your estimation? Um, well, according to Wikipedia, three hundred to four hundred million dollars. So is that wi- that's not with marketing though? I, I have so maybe add another fifty million to that. Mm-hmm. So let's let's ballparks four hundred fifty million as like the upper threshold. I guess I, I don't know how much movie studios spend on marketing. You know what? For the sake of the thought experiment, let's say five hundred million all in. All in, okay. uh, you know, let's say, uh, you know, including like printing toys, which they're going to get paid back for, right. you know, so yeah. all in half a billion and they're going to make that twice over in like nine or 10 days. And one of the questions I asked you in the state of the superhero podcast was, will, will these rising costs ever make it, uh, n- you know, not unlikely, but less likely that they would make movies of this scope but we've seen so many movies that are nearly as expensive as this bomb horribly in the last few years. None of them are Disney movies, by the way. Disney always gets their money back, even on Pirates of the Caribbean. I hate or to say Doctor it. Or Doctor Strange. Yeah. So I'll ask you the question again two years later. I mean, is it, do you just keep throwing more money at these movies because they just keep making you more money? Or do you have to keep one eye towards the trend of movie and TV watching in general and that overall fewer people are going to the movies? It's just that Disney has such a huge share of it. Well, I think I don't think the, the superhero genre is going to fade anytime soon. I think it's, you know, this movie I think is going to breathe whatever additional life it's still needed. Not that I think it was really on fumes that it's going to go for another eight years at least. It should also be said, not every superhero movie costs 300 to 400 to 500 this million. This is my question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry. I didn't flesh out the, the, the second part of the question, which was like, or make like Black Widow movies for 100 million that make you six or 700 million dollars. Deadpool making you 800 million kind of thing. Often, I mean, Deadpool costs like 60 million dollars. 
Um, the most profitable movie I think of last year was actually Get Out, which cost like twenty million and made like thirty times that or something. So, you know the 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 risk is obvious with these big team up ones. BVS cost a ton. Justice League cost as much as uh, as Infinity War did. And Justice and League I, lost money apparently at eight hundred million dollars. I don't know how that's possible. Yeah, I mean, so I think Disney is perfectly happy with the return on investment on the MCU, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's going to be going away forever. Now. The thing that might happen is it might turn out that fans are not quite as interested in these newer characters. So after next year, when I'm pretty sure Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans are done, maybe the the interest starts to drift away. And then maybe phase four is fewer movies or lower budget movies or I don't know what. Um, But I think Disney is probably pretty confident this genre is going to go for a while yet. And they don't have to start looking for the next franchise ip to to keep you know being their blockbusters i guess i mean i'm just gonna be brutally honest here man just for the talking point and get your response there is no major superhero new superhero property in the next couple years that i even know about let alone am excited about um I, I, as I told you, I have warmed up to Brie Larson and, and Cap- the Captain Marvel character. It's helped that I actually read the comic in the last couple months. And right. it's pretty funny and cool, actually. Um, and she does have like a, she's like Starbuck if Starbuck wasn't such a psycho bitch, basically. Like <laughs> when, when Starbuck's being nice Starbuck, you know, tr- like mischievous, but nice Starbuck, that's sort of like Captain Marvel. So mm. I, I am all about that. And I love that she's going to save their asses, hopefully. That's why Nick Fury called her. Um, uh, so I'm, I am, you know, but I'm not considering Avengers a new property. And Ant-Man, even though I love Paul Rudd, I really could care less. Not interested. Not interested in Spider-Man. The Venom trailer just makes me roll my oh eyes my the entire time. Um, and, and my poor dad. Oh, my God. Because my dad's an actor's guy, and he loves both Tom... I mean, he loves Tom Hardy. My dad, like... From like watching British television and shit, he loves right. fucking Tom Hardy. You know, I like Tom Hardy too. It doesn't mean I have to. Yeah. I mean, the Avengers. But he also loves like Riz Ahmed, and so right. before yeah. I had time to explain to him what was actually going on, he's like, "Oh my god, this is like a cool Riz Ahmed movie with Riz Ahmed <laughs> and Tom Hardy." I'm like, "Dad, this is gonna get not only disappointing but horrifying in about thirty seconds. So get ready for." <laughs> It's so gross. It looks exactly like monster porn. And the fact that nobody's willing to say it in the media, that this this particular vision is exactly what monster porn looks like online, is like ridiculous, but whatever, people. Oh, you know? Ven- Venom with his tongue? Yes. Or, or, yeah. Venom looks like a movie that was made in the late 90s. like Or, or uh, like 70s a- in Japan. Yeah, or, or, or like like Asylum Films, which does does the like the low budget versions of one, so that like there was Pacific Rim and the Asylum Films one was called Atlantic Rim, like the the low budget, somewhat satirical takeoff. It looks like that, but for like Spawn, I, I can't believe they really think this is the movie people want. And I'm a little flabbergasted. Friends of mine on Facebook, not people I'm close with, but you know, keeping my feed seem to actually like want to see oh, yeah. the Venom no, based my, on that trailer. I, dude, you're not alone. All the nerds that, you know, everyone, the nerds that I follow, Hayslip and all them who I love fucking 
all are excited about it. I, I, I can't understand it. I think just people just want a dark, rated R horror movie type thing with Tom Hardy. I get it. It's just not appealing for me personally. I know. I just don't know. I wouldn't mind that. I just don't know why you have to make that the Venom movie. Like, Tom Hardy can do lots of kinds of things, but his accent choice is very... It's like the... It's like the guy from... It's like fucking um, from Midnight Cowboy, uh, um, Rain Man, Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. uh, You know, which is where the phrase I'm walking here comes from. Like, that, that New York accent. But, like, the guy inhaled two balloons worth of helium. It's a really weird accent. Mm. Um, I, I, I don't get Venom. I, I, I don't – I can't imagine it's going to do well. Tom Hardy just likes acting challenges. He doesn't give a fuck. You know? And I like, think he likes movies where he can have weird accents and, have, and like, talk through masks. He's also like, like think- Gollum in this movie, which is the one thing that's making me interested in it. And I didn't realize Kinda. the symbiote had a different personality than him. If so it wasn't such a horrifying like- monster image, I kind of would be able to get behind it, but it just looks too gross to me. Yeah. I don't know. I, um, I don't know how you make a movie about evil clothing. Cool. Okay. So speaking of movies, <laughs> so here's, we're going to do the general, like, you know, state of the movies in 2018 rundown, and then we'll give final thoughts on Infinity War. And you said okay. you're not going to see it again. I doubt I'll see it again in the theater, but maybe we'll revisit it down the road, do a commentary or something. Like, certainly tons we did not talk about because there was so much going on. I yeah. do want to stress again, though, that the fact that some of my favorite parts of the movie were characters or movies I haven't loved, like Doctor Strange or Spider-Man, is a giant, giant credit. Because for me, any any like funny, you know, uh, badass, cute Natasha line or like endearing, right. you know, like uh, uh, all-American Captain America line, like that's low-hanging fruit for me. You know, mm-hmm. like I am going to like that no matter what. And the fact that Doctor Strange, I now want to go back, watch the movie, and actually read all the <laughs> Doctor Strange comics I have that I've never read before because I read them in expectation of the movie I didn't end up liking. Now I'm like, okay, we need super OP. I know Thor. I'm going to go to my Thor comic books too. Is all great. But Matt, let's just talk really quickly about movies this year. Okay? Okay. All right. I'm going to throw a couple numbers at you. All right? And again, these are just updated as of the last day or two. All right. Number one, Black Panther. I'm just going to do domestic because the Chinese movie industry is off the charts these days, and like almost all the highest grossing movies are in just straight up China these days. Um, usually there's one or two a year. Now they control, I believe, three or four of the top ten, if not more. Right. Uh, let's see. I'm pretty sure Red Sea, Monster Hunt 2. Yeah. So they've got like Detective Chinatown. Yeah. So right. th- they have all these ones. So I'm going to go domestic. Okay. And I like the domestic totals because I'm a Star Wars guy and I like that Star Wars is really does it most of its stuff domestically. So Black Panther, $689 million domestically. All right. Mm -hmm. Okay. On 202 opening infinity war at 338 with a 257 opening. That's going to definitely pass black Panther, probably get closer to seven, maybe $800 million. Um, by the end of it might hit the billion mark could happen. Definitely. And then do you want to guess what number three is? Um, from this year, domestic grossing from this year in America, the hell has come out this year. Um, I can't, I I don't know. Just tell me a quiet place. Oh yeah. 
which is seeming like the get out of the year, not in terms of subject matter, but being this like small kind of scary ish movie that's made 242 million worldwide on a $17 million budget directed by John Krasinski, starring Krasinski and his wife, Emily Blunt. Michael Bay is a producer um, and it's the third highest grossing. Then ready player one, which way underperformed. Then Peter Rabbit, which I don't know what they thought. Then Fifty Shades, which is always going to make $100 million domestically. And then right. I think the first ginormous bomb, and one that Disney did not see coming, and shows that Disney is as human as everybody else, is A Wrinkle in Time, which n- nobody saw and even fewer people liked. And after that, it's a hodgepodge of Pacific Rim, Tomb Raider, Maze Runner, Red Sparrow, and so forth. But other than the giant mistake that was A Wrinkle in Time, Black Panther and Avengers still control about 70% of the total box office this year. Thoughts? I mean, A Quiet Place, I'm not I, I'm not a big horror guy, and so this was never a movie I was going to see. But the friends of mine who are either critics who review horror a lot or just like horror movies are all in consensus that A Quiet Place was actually very, very, very good. So, yeah. you know, the fact that it made a lot of mo- money is cool. I mean, it means people turned out for a horror movie that was a good example of its genre. And I like to see that genre doing well because I think horror can do some things that no other genre can in terms of messaging. And, you know, as I've said, anything that produces any kind of really strong emotional reaction in you, including being scared, is a good experience because most of what you see will produce no reaction and Mm -hmm. you won't remember it a year later. Totally. Um, Wrinkle in Time, I mean, I didn't see it, but it it didn't seem like it was made for me. It seemed like... Everything about how it was made was targeting a very specific audience of, you know, tween girls who are principally people of color. And that's great to make a movie for them because probably there there are lots of them that feel like nothing is being made for them. But maybe they made it so demographically specific that nobody else wanted to see it. Like I remember reading Wrinkle in Time and liking it, but it looked like a kid's movie and it looked too like technicolory for me and i i just was like meh i'll give it a pass um yeah and I then think, uh, i i think it's i don't think it's as i agree 100 percent that it was targeting a very specific and hard to nail down audience i don't think it's easily broken down on demographic lines though i think it has to do with certain young adults at certain points in their life like i read wrinkle in time too young and didn't like it and by the mm. time I came back to it, it was like, okay, I've been reading about actual like astrophysics for the last couple of years now. <laughs> like, you right. know, so it, it's like, it's like getting Tolkien at the right time. Like I actually started reading Tolkien the first time when I was like in fifth grade and I had no idea what the fuck was going on in the yeah. book, but that That's was part way. of the joy of it. Because then when I came back a couple of years later, I had all the emotion of reading it as a little kid and now could understand it. So I think a wrinkle of time, to answer your question, man, I, yeah, you you said it best. I'm just reframing it in terms of an analysis. I don't think they knew who the audience was. I don't think anyone knows who the A Wrinkle in Time audience is. And it was just an unnecessarily gamble with, let's be honest, three lead actresses who not everybody likes for various reasons. So Yeah, I mean, and that's... That part of it can't be understated, like... I think even within Star Wars, if you want to look at like Force Awakens versus Last Jedi, independent of any analysis of the 
the structural issues The Last Jedi had, which it had some. I think the fact is, in 2016, mentally, we were in a, a different place, even though it was not that long ago. And a movie two years ago about diversity felt like, okay, great, you know, we're this is a society that's waking up and we're starting to include other voices. And then that's great. And then the election happened and we're in 2018 now and everything feels crappy. And anything that could be divisive is really divisive. Like people have just gotten so angry and polarized to their side. And because the last Jedi picked a side, it pissed a lot of people off. Like, the conversation about The Force Awakens was never as nasty as the conversation very quickly got with The Last Jedi, even though The Force Awakens did just as much to sort of dismiss the lore of Star Wars. You know, it was about new stuff and new people and new ideas, just like Last Jedi was. But Last Jedi felt like the people who didn't like it didn't like it because they felt like it was a shot at them. And that mentality of this is a shot at us it wasn't as strong as far as I can tell even two years ago. And that's really sad. I mean, it sucks, but I, I really believe that just mm-hmm. our, our, our psychology as a nation mm-hmm. was pretty divided two years ago, but now it's terrible. I mean, the sexy, if you're cool ending on a more philosophical question, uh, because you just introduced that, and I would love to <laughs> to talk to you about it briefly. Is just I mean, do you that, think I'm right? Do you think I have some validity to that? No, I'm just going to back you up. I I think the the controversy over the Last Jedi can be boiled down to the nostalgic variable surrounding the character of Luke Skywalker. It depends yeah. when you met Luke, how you met him, and how you viewed him. Now, I have said the people who like The Last Jedi are the people who like Luke from the end of Return of the Jedi when he throws down his lightsaber and says, I'm not going to fight you anymore. You've lost your emperor. Versus the people who like him and the skiff on the beginning murdering all of Jabba's henchmen with his lightsaber. <laughs> um and that's exactly the response you would have the first time you saw the final scene of The Last Jedi, whereas him not being there and doing like a fucking, you know, Matrix Zen Buddhist thing was like the coolest fucking thing I could have imagined, even though I didn't know right. it was happening. A lot of people were like pissed it wasn't a physical battle. And there's just no real reconciling that. If you don't understand that the Force is ultimately a pacifistic thing and not about fighting, but about resisting in, in, in different ways, you know, I, I think this is, to be honest, I think the Battle of the Last Jedi came out much later than I expected. I thought The Force Awakens would have awakened all of these demons and all of these arguments, but for whatever reason, people liked Force Awakens and Rogue One enough to not really go at it until The Last Jedi. And I think Luke Skywalker's performance and portrayal in The Last Jedi was what ultimately set people off. But you should know, man, I have been... I don't... I mean, we follow each other on social media, but people out there, I, I try not to start Twitter battles with people, but I was listening to a very listened to Star Wars podcast recently by a bunch of guys older than me called The Full of Sith. This guy, Brian, he also writes for StarWars.com, but also does a lot of freelance stuff. He's the ultimate Star Wars apologist. He loves, you know, Jar Jar. He loves the prequels. Everything Lucas did is great. You know, if anything, the new movies are the problem, but like he's ultimate, he defends everything. And he has this thing that he does where he says, oh, you can believe whatever you want, no judgment. But then he tries to convince you until you either agree with him or or give in that everything is perfect. 
And he was doing this recently on like a, a show on, online where he was basically saying, I don't have a problem with the last Jedi haters. I just have a problem with how they're conducting themselves. And I'm like, okay, I'm on board with that. But yeah. then he feels like he actually needs to go into the movie and explain why it's perfection and they're wrong. And I'm like, this is a form of liberal bullying. I mean, this is a passive-aggressive form of bullying people, because I know a lot of people who are not hateful, who love Star Wars, who didn't love The Last Jedi, and that should be okay. And we had a discussion on Twitter, and he actually, I didn't, he didn't really come back at me much, because I wasn't going after him. I was pointing out that us liberals out there, at bigger politics, we tend to cannibalize one another. You know, like, oh, we agree on 90% of stuff, but 10% we disagree so you have to come to my side or i have to come to your side or else you know it's like that's why we can't we can't be unified and so i I do think there's criticism to be had on on all sides of of nerddom at this point um i don't know what i mean it it does seem like i I, before the last jedi controversy let's say i I would have said star wars fans were much more insane than (laughs) marvel fans but clearly that's not the case star wars fans are way crazier than comic book fans it didn't help that the prequels basically, and if P- I know people like them, I'm done trying to convince anybody that the prequels are good or no bad. Way. Or you whatever. got my past. You got my past. I. I but yeah. one thing that the prequels did that I think is hard to argue is the prequels reduced everything about Star Wars to combat. All of the the you know Yoda's luminous beings are we speech where where the Force is this mystical eastern idea about balance and peace no the first scene in the uh, in the phantom menace is them pulling out their lightsabers and slaughtering a bunch of droids the first we see yoda fight and he's doing the same kick flipping parkour whatever that darth maul is doing like yep. the force and all of the jedi and sith it just got reduced to combat and i wonder if that didn't raise a generation of star wars fans who believed that all that was all Star Wars? Was but they're not to the be. problem, man. That's the thing. I listen to a lot no, of they young because most yeah. of the hate I think is coming from the Gen Xers who yeah. like the originals. Yeah, so we- it's coming from people our age and older. I mean, I listen to tons of young men and women who grew up on the prequels. And a lot of them love the prequels. Some of them are aware of the faults. Some of them, you know, are, are blinded to them, and that's fine. But whether they, the extent to which they love the new movies, let's put it this way. The younger generation who grew up on the prequels really likes the new movies. They don't always agree which ones they like and how much they like it. But the hate right. is definitely coming from an older, middle-of-the-country demographic. There's no question about it. You can tell by the language. If you just Probably look, if, literally, if you just see, go, see these trolls and you just go to their Twitter site and see what they've got posted there, like it, it's immediately apparent what type of people these are. But shouldn't stop other people who are smart and sensitive who didn't love the last jedi for understandable reasons to be grouped in and that's why i went after this guy brian about was he was using his pulpit to bully everyone who didn't think last jedi was like a 97 percent um and grouping them all together because i think that's just as dangerous right now, well, I think that's a commentary on the on social media communication, and in some ways, podcasting is even a, an offshoot of that. And the problems of that medium is that it has become a means by which we shout each other down. Um, that we don't that it it we haven't figured out how to use it to talk to each other. We just use it to talk at each other, and that is one of the things that is driving everybody into their corners and looking for a fight. 
Yeah, and I heavily refer. I told you that I did this, but I people out there, if you listen to my Rogue One commentary uh, with Simi, which is super fun, but then we do like a meta discussion afterwards for 20 minutes. But Matt, I, I heavily referenced your whole um, theory about how these older middle-of-the-country Star Wars fans were talking about, as you put it, they want all the Star Wars, but no more Star Wars. They yeah. just want the Star Wars, and they want it to end, right? Yeah, they, they want, want to say to they've, they've consumed all of it. They right. And Disney is clearly telling them to go fuck themselves. I mean, yes. Disney has not apologized or changed a single decision. They are more in support of Ryan Johnson than ever. You know, they gave him a trilogy. They gave him a trilogy. Nothing's changed. <laughs> He's on the story group. He's tweeting all the time. People love him. True Star Wars fans at least appreciate what he did with with the movie. That's the thing. You know, like right. at least appreciate what he did with the movie. It's going to age great over time. Everyone I interviewed. That's the thing. I interviewed you and Alistair and Brittany. People who aren't giant Star Wars fans. You guys love the Last Jedi. Like I yeah. couldn't believe it. That movie is so like force heavy and, and talk and stuff like that. But people, yeah, that's what I liked about it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, people really, and I think that's what he's going to be with his dark spiritual stuff is going to be exploring more of that. And then the guys from Game of Thrones who they brought on, Weiss and whatever his name is, yeah, are going to be doing more like Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah, more like Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon fighting stuff, which is fine. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, but I, I just like that Disney's not apologizing. Now, it does help that Marvel, I mean, it seemed like with Winter Soldier they were going into pretty liberal territory with Marvel, but they've managed to stay pretty apolitical, I would say. Uh, so let me ask you this as final salvo. Um, there are any political themes in this movie, or was it just like brilliantly, beautifully apolitical? I think it was very apolitical. Yeah. I, I don't. There's no reckoning with the Sokovia Accords or anything like that. I, I, I think this movie did not try to have a point um, except maybe that Peter Quill needs to grow up a little bit, but maybe we'll get the point in the second half next summer. But I don't think this movie was trying to send a message. I don't think it was a commentary on anything going on. I think it was just about, uh, you know, a big, crazy two and a half hour long, massive yeah. battle. I mean, let's be honest. Last Jedi was extremely political, and it beat this movie significantly in critic scores. Not just in Rotten Tomato percentage, but in average critic scores. And this wasn't even one of the highest-rated Marvel movies, based on average critic scores, I don't think. And it was still through the roof. But it helps that it's apolitical, and you know that's why it's not getting tons of controversy. I still and it helped think, that it came yeah. out two months after Black Panther. Well, and I still I mean, think, based on your comments about Elizabeth Olsen and my comments about Zoe Saldana, they are still way behind the curve on female characters compared to Star Wars and some other places. Yeah. I There's mean, no one like Jessica I, Jones on screen, uh, that type of character in, in the Marvel Universe. As much as I love Black Widow, and I do personally like Scarlet Witch, but... It's 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 more glaring than ever, and no no amount of shots of Shuri is going to change that for now. No, I agree. I mean, I I think I probably don't have the that like that degree of an issue with it that you do, but I definitely think that's the case. And I think now in that respect, there is some pressure on uh, uh, Captain Marvel to be good because if it if it's not good and it doesn't do well. That might go a long way towards killing for good any chance of ever getting a Scarlet, uh, yeah. a Black Widow movie. Like if 
Captain Marvel doesn't do well, I don't think a Black Widow movie ever does well. And then I think Scarlett Johansson walks. That's think, happening, by the way. They've already they've interviewed like sixty directors or something. So yeah, far. but if but if in a if in eight months Captain Marvel dies and they haven't already started filming it, they may just oh no, it'll it. happen. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. People were cheering Black Widow both times. Like I, people love Widow. She loves playing the part. She's great at these type of roles. I know she people. Is, but if her yeah. mo- solo movie doesn't happen, she's walking. I, I think that's one of the things that's kept Scarlett Johansson around is the sort of quiet promise that at some point she would get her own movie. Yeah. I mean, she's been vocal that she wants that. Well, and we pointed out the obvious, by the way, in our Avengers commentary, which is that on paper in 2012, she was the most famous person on the Avengers other than maybe Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. I know that's absolutely true. I, uh, a lot of people also think that the reason there hasn't been one before is that for a long time, Marvel Studios was controlled by a guy named Isaac Perlmutter, who still has a big role in the TV side of things. Hmm. And he is like a, a sexist dick. I mean, just Google the horror stories about this guy. Do you he buy the Stan really, Lee stuff? I, I The Stan Lee stuff is so weird, I don't know what to think. Because um, it seems like he is maybe doing some abusing, but he is also maybe being abused by other family members and people around him. So I, I don't know what to think about that. Um, but... Isaac Perlmutter. Well, it's a good thing we got respect for the elderly in this country, right? <laughs> yeah. If it came out that he was like Harvey Weinstein, it wouldn't surprise me. It's never nobody never, never had that said, much power, though. Honestly, well, he did. I mean, the reason Inhumans like was a thing is because of him. If Chloe Bennett comes out and says Stanley groped me, then I'll hate him forever. And I'll, but other be, other than that, I just can't. I can't see it. We know he makes fun of himself for being kind of skeevy. There's a difference between being a skeevy dude and like raping and sexually molesting. I'm not apologizing for it, but he's never right. hidden from this he's particular also portrayal. Like, how old is he? 88, 90? Well, that's the other thing. If his brain isn't totally there, then you you have to deal with this stuff with delicacy. And That's that's what I think. I, yeah. I, I think he is maybe starting to go a little demented, and that doesn't exclude – that doesn't excuse – groping people or whatever he's done if he did that i mean these this these stories have been very murky and weird but yeah because the media reports happening and reported as if it's the same thing right but if he really isn't in full control of his mental faculties anymore which would not be out of the ordinary for a person his age that's got to be part of the conversation right i mean if somebody who was mentally disabled did some of this stuff, we would be talking about that as part of this. I mean, yeah. So anyway, yeah, no, no, no. That, that's all, a it's whole all, other thing. It's that all I don't part of the American into. sexual repression thing, which we'll have to save for another podcast. So, all right, man. Well, to I think cl- you should find somebody else to talk about that with than another dude. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> it's true. Jews Jews are meant to feel g- guilty about many things, but unlike Catholics, sex is not one of them. Um, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're told to, to bone. Yeah, I was going to say, they sent us to summer camp where there's literally no rules. You could just hook up with anybody. So there you yeah. go. Um, all right, man. So I'm going to give you my final thought, and I'm going to give you, obviously, final, final thought, and hopefully we'll wrap up from there. Okay. I'll be perfectly honest. Over the last two weeks... And especially, because I was able to do this especially because I was sick last weekend and had to push Infinity War. I watched Avengers One, mm-hmm. Captain America: The Winter Soldier, yep, and Avengers: Age of Ultron. Okay, and those are still by far my three favorite movies in the genre, and nothing has topped it since then. 
And it, as I've sort of was hinting at earlier, it's not really fair because I'm using a criteria that doesn't exist anymore. And it's moved into a different direction. And so I had almost no problems with any moment in Infinity War, seeing it back-to-back nights. And as I've said, by the way, man, with the three Star Wars movies, even right. though Rogue One's my personal favorite, but among the two saga movies, I prefer Force Awakens, even though I do love Last Jedi. If you combine those three movies, there's like five minutes of eye-rolling total, which is an <laughs> unbelievable batting average. And this movie, I mean, really in all the Russo movies, there's only been a handful of eye-roll moments. I agree. The fact that they can even sell a romance between Chris Pratt and Zoe Saldana that I don't buy at all, but in the moment, because of the stakes, the actors, and the filming, I buy it. I, I, I have no complaints. But I'm also self-aware enough as a movie watcher to say I'm not going to love a movie because it was flawless in sort of the negativist's lack of negative sense. And there is a lot of things I do love about it, but I can't go higher than 8 or 8.5 because I don't see myself watching it with friends or alone in the future and having that giddy feeling of some of those Cap or early Avengers movies or so forth. That could change. That could absolutely change. And I could not praise the Russos enough for this effort, but it has made, it has made extinct the possibility of amazing giant super team up movies for at least the next couple of years. I mean, it does everything so well. I don't know how even if they approve a Justice League 2, improve everything, recast, do the whole thing, it's it, it's still amazing. I still don't know, you know? It's at the bar so high. They almost have to go back to these smaller stories. So my my final thought and pass it to you is just like I don't know where comic book movies are going because I've been feeling for a while like this along with Black Panther would be the time when I would take kind of a break from thinking about comic book movies for a while and Honestly, the the amount that this movie is great reinforces that point, if that makes sense. And I'll throw it to you. Yeah, I mean, I don't quite know where they go either, other than that there's going to be another one of these next year. And, you know, the, the Russos have kind of, even as much as the Avengers, uh, I'm sorry, even as much as Winter Soldier was a, a really good movie that still holds up, there are ways in which they have gotten better at this since then. Like... I, you know, this is in some areas, not in terms of complex storytelling, but in some other ways, this is their best effort in this universe so far. <laughs> and I, it's possible they actually some, find some way to outdo themselves a year from now. Mm-hmm. But what happens after that, I really don't know. Oh, can, um, I, can I just add something really quickly? Yeah. Um, which is just a personal note, which is the Star Wars thing, which is, you know, I'm just always going to be biased on this point because I've been, you know, Star Wars has been in my life since before I remember, and it'll be probably when my brain starts going, I'll still be watching Star Wars movies. Um, and comic books have always been sort of in and out for me. And so it's, it's, it's holding it up to a very, you know, high bar. But I will say, you know, when I look at these comic book movies, especially these giant ones, you're, I'm so, I so look forward to the action, and I also look forward to the comedy. And the fact that those aren't the two most important things for me when in a Star Wars movie, I think is part of the reason I love Star Wars movies. It's like, yes, good action is great, and yes, you know, hearing Ray or Luke or whoever be funny once in a while or Poe is great, but it's more the drama. And I'm not saying they didn't nail the drama in this movie, 
but it always feels exposition heavy in comic book movies where literally you could have Ray and Kylo doing a stare off for five minutes and it's gripping. Um, and so there's just some structural things too that are different. And again, you know, as I'll keep stressing, trying to constantly translate the written physical visual media of a comic book onto the screen is much different than a property that began on the screen belongs on the screen and is primarily on the screen. They definitely nailed it in this movie. You know, I, I, I do miss the fun a little bit, but it's hard to argue their reasons for, for being so serious when the stakes are, are like this and building it up over 10 years. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I still think the movie was quite funny at times, and I thought the, the humor was pretty well integrated. Um, no, the humor was great, but, but I'm saying, what I'm saying was like that's something I look forward to in the comic movies. Like I was pumped about that, you know? Oh, like, okay. like when I see a Star Wars movie, I like a good joke, but it's not like what I'm looking for. It's just what you're looking right. for in different movies, yeah. You know, and I think one of the, the slightly more valid criticisms of Last Jedi is that the humor the way it was used at times was kind of jarring and at least at first. Made, yeah. You know, the, and some of it worked well and some of it, as I said, but you appreciated podcast, it actually, man, yeah, of all the I people said, I had on the post stuff at the beginning and Luke throwing mm-hmm. the lightsaber, you were like me, you were more on board with it. I had a lot of people, Star Wars fans, non Star Wars fans who weren't super on board with that. Go ahead. Cause I got that. It was Ryan Johnson's kind of signaling. This is how, I am trying to really be different. Right. This is one way I'm trying to be different. But when you do something very different, it is quite jarring, you know, in a way that there isn't a ton of humor in the original Star Wars movies. And, you know, a lot of the jokes in the prequels don't work all that well. So, no. you know, to have a suddenly funny movie after eight previous ones, I can understand why people would be turned off to that. It helps that with the Avengers, with the MCU, from Iron Man on, it has always been clear these are always going to be a mix of action, emotion, mm-hmm. and humor, you yep. know, which is what Robert Downey Jr. Yep. Even if Iron Man, the original, looks a little lean in, re- in hindsight, what made it work is it did make the tone that they're still using to this day work. You know, yeah. even a movie that is not super funny, like The Winter Soldier, still has jokes that are modeled on the mm-hmm. some of the tonal ideas that Iron Man set up. Like mm-hmm. when he drops the guy over the building and that before Falcon saves him and suddenly Scarlet's like, well, what about her yeah. in accounting? Totally. Oh, the one with the tone? Ugh. She's kind of cute. Like, Love it. Funny as fuck. Great moment. She's so but, great. I <sighs> Yeah, they're all great. But that stuff... That's not possible without Robert Downey Jr. making that tone work in Iron Man. Man, I'm just so impressed with Scarlett Johansson over the years, dude. I, I know not every choice she she's makes is great. For sure. She, it, but um, she's so committed, and she takes it seriously, but not too seriously, you know? Like, But she can get in and out of that Black Widow role like nobody's business. I mean, yeah. it's just, you know, it never doesn't feel right. And, you know, the fact that, like, she she's such an interesting person man she had a complex when she was younger we all think of like sexy young scarlett johansson but like she never thought she was that sexy basically and so that's why she's cultivated uh in terms of hollywood image i'm talking about that's what she talks about cultivating an image of being kind of more cute and playful because 
you know, she, she wasn't, she didn't see herself as just being that like sultry, you know, whatever, blah, 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 even though she's gorgeous or whatever. But I think like, I never she didn't saw see herself as Angelina Jolie. Right. Right. Or what other people thought. But the, but, but the fact that Black Widow has turned into the cute, playful, but still deadly character. I just love, you know, is just, is just absolutely great. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, uh, my, my, my final direct point on the movie is that the Peter Quill stuff is exactly an example of why this movie's brilliant because you knew he was going to react that way to Thor and it would have been funny on its own. But like, if you look at both James Gunn's better, best work and, and Whedon's best work, it's not that you keep making jokes over the course of the movie. It's that you keep escalating the jokes and building on them and evolving them from the original joke. Right. So mm-hmm. like the Rocket Raccoon stuff where, you know, it's constantly building on the stuff he steals and who he's going to steal it from and blah, 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 right. blah, blah. And so, but sometimes the Russos just know how to make the jokes and that's fine. But here they really w- went from Quill just being an annoying, you know, insecure douchebag to like really threatening everybody with his childish behavior. Um, and I, I just, I don't know. I was really affected by the, all the guardians performance in this movie. Um, I, you know, I, it makes me feel way less cheated about guardians too, because of how great the whole, the whole cast was, was here. And again, Dr. Strange. Now I'm really fascinated by, by where it's going. So, um, all right, dude, well, final, your final thought moment, person you want to praise general praise. It's, it's you. We'll close it out. Um, I don't want this to be the last thing I say because I don't want it to like end on a negative. That's cool. You the one two. thing that did get on my nerves a little that I wanted to point out, when Iron Man and Doctor Strange are staring each other down, as fun as that scene is, I love the ice cream jokes. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I like that they are clearly enjoying, the two actors are clearly enjoying doing this against each other. When you see... Sherlock for Sherlock. Yeah, when you see Strange and Tony Stark next to each other, how much Doctor Strange's character is based off of the archetype of uh, Tony Stark is really obvious. They talk the same way. They have the same facial hair. Their body language is the same. Their cadence is the same. Their arrogance is the same. So when people say that Mm. um, Doctor Strange is magic Iron Man, that scene really 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 rammed it home for me and then what i liked is that as the movie went on the characters started to differentiate and robert downey and tony stark's kind of worldliness of having been doing this for a little longer starts to to work on dr strange and get him to sort of get over his own you know self inflation his own narcissism a little bit so Hmm. i liked where they went with it but in that initial scene i was like man i am just staring at two iron mans right now i really appreciated uh stark's restraint um yeah in this movie i think again there were some very direct nods but some indirect nods to to the stark from ultron in this film Mm -hmm. um if anything it wouldn't have hurt to have like a literally three second quick clip flashback to that vision he had of all the Avengers dead and Thanos's armies in the sky, which was so evocative at the beginning when the Scarlet Witch was getting into his brain the first time. So they're really relying on fans, man, to, to know what they're talking about with this stuff. Um, if anything, I think this could, yeah. Okay. I, I think this would make for an entirely other mini cast that I don't want to do right now, but the psychological trajectory of 
Tony Stark yeah. over these 10 years is really fascinating to go from the, the guy who the first like moment we're told was important in his life was the death of his parents to essentially trying to get over the PTSD of the Avengers by mentoring a boy and being a father figure to him to then losing said like surrogate son at the end of infinity war to what I think will be sacrificing his life in infinity in Avengers four to bring him back. It's very, very fascinating. Like the ways that they have each new car- movie that he's been in builds on the psychological arc that his character has been on. It, it's very, very fascinating. What, what's always interested me is, um, you know, we attribute the P- PTSD to Avengers 2012 going into the portal in the sky. But, and dying. But he probably should have had much bigger PS- PTSD in 2008 Iron Man when he was, like, captured <laughs> and tortured in a cave in Afghanistan. But, like, yeah, captured by terrorists. That yeah. would probably fuck up most yeah. people. But so, that's part two, you know? Yeah, but the fact, right, the fact that they didn't give in to the temptation in the original movie, and then they explored it in Avengers and then Iron Man 3. I mean, look, I, I, yeah, I, it's, it, it's been a great trajectory. The thing is, I thought for sure and almost wanted him to die in this movie, but by the end, with all the death, I was almost glad he wasn't dead. Oh, that's how we'll finish. That's how we'll finish on a positive note. Um, predictions, uh, it can be anything that happens between now and the end of Avengers 4 next year. Things you want to see happen, things you think you're going to see happen, people are going to die, people are going to come up. What do you think? Okay, so everybody who dies in this movie is a Phase 2 or Phase 3 character, which I found very interesting. And so what you're left with is basically the original Avengers and Rocket Raccoon, and I think that's uh, basically it well i'm sorry so, really quick um news update it's confirmed you might have known this uh captain marvel is coming out about two months before avengers 4 go ahead yeah so obviously captain marvel is going to have a huge role in this i know that in the 1970s infinity gauntlet saga written by starlin and the other guy mm-hmm. it ends with adam warlock gaining possession of the gauntlet i think probably captain marvel is going to take that fill that same role because adam warlock's not going to be introduced until guardians 3 which won't come out until afterwards whatever it is i'm pretty sure that some of the original avengers are going to wind up sacrificing themselves to bring back all of these other people we know that steve rogers has always been willing to die for his friends he showed it in winter soldier so why wouldn't it would be very fitting for him to give his life to bring bucky and falcon back to life as I just said, I think the ultimate act for Tony Stark, the the selfish narcissist at the beginning of all this, would be to literally sacrifice his life to save his surrogate son. Mm. I think probably nobody else from the originals dies, although if they needed a guy they could throw under the bus, I mean, Hawk, Hawkeye isn't even in this, so if they wanted to kill him just because there needs to be uh, he'll some be in the fourth. He'll be in the fourth, don't you worry. They, they could kill him off. I mean... Look, I know people like Hawkeye. No, it's but not Hawkeye a matter of that. It's just he has a family. You can't kill the one family guy. I feel like that would be brutal. It doesn't matter if you like him. It'd just be brutal. That's probably true. Although I, I would like to think, as sad as a thought as this is, that one of the things that's going to spur Hawkeye back into action is that maybe somebody in his family got erased. I mean, I mean if it's literally look. half the people in the universe, there's four in that family. One would think one of them would go. Look, we can agree mind-controlled uh, Hawkeye was not the best idea. However, if you look at the Whedon-Hawkeye 
coming out of Mind Control, the Battle of New York, and what I consider a great performance in Ultron, Whedon knew how to write for Hawkeye, but there wasn't enough time, and they just didn't do it right, and now no one knows how to write for Hawkeye, and so he's just not in it, which is sad. He was great in Wind River last year with Elizabeth Olsen. Those two were amazing, but, you know. Yeah, they were. Just sometimes you need good writing. Wind River was a really dope movie. I mean, it's 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 on Netflix, people. It was my movie of the year last year. I wasn't just being a hipster. I honestly love Taylor Sheridan, Hell or High Water. I love Wind River. It's my movie of the year. It's on Netflix right now. Go check that out. It's definitely worth checking out. Hawkeye, just whether or not they just never had room or whatever else, they never made him an actual character. I don't know. You don't know why he does well, what he's he like does. He's like a ninja turtle in the comics. And so people like all have these crazy visions about what crazy costume he should have. And he's also right. a womanizer in the comics. He's not a family man. So, you know, I, I, whatever. It's just, they don't explain why he uses a bow and arrow. They don't explain what actually his arrows are. Like he, he's mm. used a bunch of them, but it's not clear what their powers are. It's not, yeah. He needed to have some kind of origin story, even if it was just a two-minute monologue laid out, because I have no idea what he can do, why he can do it, or why he, why he does any of this. Like, I don't know his motivations, or his origin, or his powers, or even really where his nickname comes from, because, yeah, there's the mention of the hawk, he's up in his perch, but is that really the reason they call him Hawkeye, because he's kind of distant? Like... He's not a character, so I didn't really miss him in this mm-hmm. movie. So mm-hmm. if they need to kill another one just to get the point across, mm-hmm. they could kill Hawkeye, and I really wouldn't miss him. Okay. All right. Um, how do you feel about me naming some movies coming up this year? And your your quick thought reaction, and then we'll wrap up sure. here. Okay. Here we go. Um, hold on. My mouse is acting up. What's today's day? What, what, what day is it again today? Um, it's Saturday. Yeah, I know. I know. As of a half an hour ago, happy May the 4th. <laughs> May the 4th be with you. May 18th, Deadpool 2. Yay! Sure. I mean, I, it looks like fun. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously Is it possible it, it nope. could be more fun if less brilliant just because it, there's less pressure and because they don't need to do the fucking stupid origin story, which was the worst part of the first movie? Possibly. Okay. I mean... You Josh know me, Rowan I'm a second movie guy. going to have a hell of a year this year. I'm a second movie the- guy, so, you know, I'm, I'm, right. I love the second movie. Okay. Um, Ocean's 8. I couldn't possibly care less. Awesome. I quit on the Ocean's movies after 12. I never bothered to see 13. But is this going to have one of those annoying anti-SJW backlashes like Ghostbusters where they use I a bad movie? Almost, I think it undoubtedly will. Yeah. Uh, but at least this movie is making it clear that, like, this, I think they say she's Danny Ocean's bro- sister. So it's yeah. like, yeah, this exists in the same universe as the Steven Soderbergh movies. Like, they fucked up with Ghostbusters the way it was conceived. They really fucked up with the marketing. So some of that uh, they look, brought on themselves. But that's I, I have two reasons. I, I'm not disagreeing with your assessment, but I have two reasons this thing could succeed. Okay. It's one Anne Hathaway. One is Kate Blanchett and Sandra Bullock, people love in this country, okay? And they look like they're having good chemistry with each other from the trailers. So. Yes. And the other is Anne Hathaway playing the horrible, bitchy version of herself that everyone thinks is her actual personality, but isn't. But her actually playing that out could be deliciously evil. But both of those things might be irrelevant by a bad script, so who fucking knows? Um, okay, more in your territory is The Incredibles 2, a franchise I could care less about, but I know you're more into this stuff. I love the first one. Um, 
I am mildly excited for the second. I Brad Bird is kind of weird. Like uh, the the movie he did after that was called Tomorrowland, which was this super Ayn Randian objectivist yeah. bullshit about we should just have a place for all the super people to be super, and it kind of yeah. it kind of recontextualizes Incredibles in a not particularly good way. Like yep. all of the if everyone is super, no one is stuff was not the stuff I liked about the Incredibles. Anyway, yeah. I much more like the jokes about superheroes and the pointlessness of suburbia. Okay. So, but like, I will say if a, I agree with you. B, I thought the girl was great. It was just a terrible movie, but she did a great job. George Clooney mailed it in, which she's known to do. Um, do you want to know what the worst movie of the last two years is? Uh, I was going to say Justice League, but that's not fair, no, and I don't want to. I'm not way sure. worse. Uh, what Valerian in the City of a Thousand Suns? That so movie. I've heard, I couldn't bring myself so, to see it. So so bad. It's so bad that even though the camera literally follows the sexy movement, movements of Cara Delevingne the entire time, because she is somewhat magnetic on screen, like Margot Robbie, but insane. But right. it's so it's so horrible. I mean, it looks terrible. It sounds terrible. I don't know what Luke Bazan was thinking with that movie. It's absolutely <laughs> even worse than I thought was possible. I thought maybe you came across that. So okay, um, if you do watch it ever, watch it on silent. As soon as you put the sound on, it, it goes way downhill. Um, I've heard the first like five minutes are cool, and yeah. then the whole rest of it yeah. is forgettable. Yeah, because the first five minutes of them are just being like crazy kids doing crazy stuff, and then they get super serious, and it's like the prequels, it, but without the Star Wars mythology. Um, Jurassic World. <laughs> I didn't like the, the, the one that came out two years ago. I, I don't think yeah. I'm going to see the new one. So something that puzzles me is that they're doing a Sicario sequel without Emily Blunt. <laughs> I'm not really sure what's going on there. Um, I would encourage people to listen to the watch episode on their excitement for Sicario day of the Soldado. It's pretty damn funny. And then it finally ends with one of them asking, are you in or out? And the other one's like, what are you fucking high? Of course I'm in. Um, so watch the pot, listen to the pot. On I, that. I love Benicio, but Emily Blunt is a unique talent in that genre. So I, I, I don't know. Um, I rewatched Looper leading up to, um, last Jedi for Ryan Johnson and right. as great and committed as Joseph Gordon Levitt is in that movie, Emily Blunt basically steals half the movie in my opinion, um, is amazing. So, um, okay. Ant-Man and the wasp. Sure. Yeah. I'm not feeling I, it. I mean, I liked the first one a lot. I, I think they could have maybe like let the, um, the impact of this movie sit a little a bit longer before they came out with their next goofy heist movie. Like I think tonally it's a little bit odd to follow this with that, but I mean, I definitely intend to see it. So what I'm about to say, I'm not trying to offend anyone and I'm offended. This person that I'm about to say something about, she was, one of the only highlights of the Hobbit movies, and so I give her credit for that. However, Vangeline Lilly seems to be the far less charismatic Liv Tyler to me. Um, I have never been on the Evangeline Lilly train. Yeah. I, 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 I disliked her before it was cool to dislike her. I, uh, I liked her so, as Tariel and, and, um, or whatever her name is in The Hobbit, but that was just because Tariel, yeah. there was so few I, good co- characters, and I love female, female elves, and my, I'm, I'm such a nerd. Like, I was just excited for that character. So I like female elves, too. I just didn't think mm-hmm. she was a good female elf. All right, well, okay. I, I, won't, I won't keep 
I won't keep throwing these at you. I guess the ones I had left were Creed Two. Um, yes. And then another... Definitely seeing. I'm very excited about that. Hell yeah, yeah, another major Oscar contender in that same exact category would be Cersei Ronan and Mary Queen of Scots in December, which I think will be awesome because I love historical dramas and I love Cersei Ronan. So that yeah, will be... Yeah, after Lady Bird, I'm giving... I'm willing to get... And... Uh, uh, um, Brooklyn. Uh, well, Brooklyn and the Wes... An- um, God damn it. It was the my favorite Wes Anderson movie. The one about the hotel. Um Oh, uh, Grand Budapest. Grand Budapest Hotel, yeah. Yes, sir. After those, I'm willing to give Saoirse Ronan a shot at anything. I, Lady Bird was one of the only movies I saw that gave me like real, real emotions. Like I cried in the middle of that movie, um, and I was so pissed it got completely aced out of the uh, hmm. the Oscars. But uh, Lady Bird was fantastic. Another movie I highly recommend. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm down for whatever Saoirse Ronan wants to do next. She's okay. a really good actor. All right. So my last two movies are comic book related. So okay. this will be a good way to end. And one of them is the one that's supposed to make all the money and won't. And the other one is the one that you would expect me, uh, many people to hate based on the, the series it's related to. But there's a couple of reasons I think it could be great. So which one do you want to do first? Well, one of them's Aquaman. So Aquaman is going to be a train wreck, in my opinion. And yeah. I, I don't even think it's Jason Momoa's fault. And I don't necessarily think it's, um, what's her name's fault, who's playing um, uh, his lady. Um, but I just don't see this in light of Black Panther, Thor, Amber and Infinity Beard, War. Amber Heard. Heard. In, in light of Beard. the last three Marvel movies. I, I, I can't yeah. see this work. Is it, Let me put it this way. Is there any way that you can spin it that this could work? I mean, anything could work, but I'm... I <laughs> Nice at, job. <laughs> that's, that's how I'm spinning it. Is any, I mean, did, nice, I, wasn't, nice I didn't think... I wasn't sure Deadpool would work. I, I was very conservative on that, mm-hmm. and I was dead wrong about it. But no, I do not have any intention to see Aquaman unless it gets glowing reviews from mm-hmm. every media critic and reviewer that i trust okay. um all right so do you want to guess the movie from a major studio as a spinoff of one of the most famous and richest blockbuster directors it's a uh, comic book thing no well it's re- not this movie but people i'll just say it so they're making a spinoff to the Transformers movie, okay? Oh, the Bumblebee movie. Yeah, and I saw the first Transformers movie, despised it, have never spent two seconds watching anything else by Michael Bay or the Transformers movie. However, Bumblebee is a spinoff starring Bumblebee in the 80s, so we'll get the Guardians of the Galaxy vibe or whatever, hopefully. And right. it stars Haley Steinfeld, who's been my number one on Young Actresses list for the last three years. Right. And I predicted what role does she want? Well, she she play Batgirl? Well, I thought that it went down the drain when they fired Joss Whedon. Nope. Guess who they hired to direct Batgirl? Christina Hodgson, who's directing Bumblebee with Haley Steinfeld, and she's also attached to do the screenplay and maybe direct the Birds of Prey movie. So even if Bumblebee isn't a great movie, I am so pumped to see where those two ladies will go. And the fact that that's what I'm excited about for December... Sorry, Aquaman. <laughs> I mean, considering like my excitement for Aquaman is in the negatives, yeah. my excitement for Bumblebee of zero is much higher. So. At least we have a... 
ex- established, super talented female actress and a up and coming, maybe talented female writer director, which we can't say sure, about the other Sure, and maybe things. they can get the kinks out before they then go and make a good back. And John Cena is in it as well. So there you go. Who, who I like. I, yes. I, he actually, he was on the, it's not called Nerdist anymore. It's called ID10T, but he was on Hardwick's podcast about a month ago. He was extremely insightful and very smart and sincere sounding. Like, I was very, very impressed with John Cena. Oh, and John Cena's uh, the man. The nerds that I follow love wrestling. A lot of them have, like, wrestling channels and stuff. They love fucking John Cena. They say he's awesome. Yeah. So, all right, man. Well, appreciate you being on, running along as usual. Um, we need to get to talk about television. I will say I haven't really watched any major television other than finally catching up on Orphan Black Season 5 in the last few months. Um, any bright spots in the comic book universe on TV or just sort of Flash is pretty okay and that's about it? Gotham has gotten... <laughs> Are some, you serious? No. no. Gotham has been... In, look, all right, so here's the thing. Half of Gotham has been about like League of Assassins, Rachel Ghoul stuff mm-hmm. that is totally lame and I don't give a shit. The other half of it has been about kind of the birth of the Joker and Jerome and like it's been a lot of Cameron Monaghan and all of that stuff has actually been pretty damn cool. So Gotham is – I actually am reaching the point where I am at least not some, – some weeks I look forward to it and the other weeks I am at least not exhausted at the thought of having to clear it off my DVR. So, so, so what you're saying is – I'm kind of starting to like it a little bit. I still want it canceled. It's done. It doesn't do anything for me. But well, you're, you're not, not giving yourself enough credit. What you're saying is you are being humble by saying you were watching, you know, Gotham out of like hate reasons or something. But really, you knew it was going to get good the whole time, and you've been loyal. Is what you're saying? I wish I knew. I could say <laughs> I thought it was ever going to get good. I thought. This season would be a train wreck, but I am always one to admit when I'm pleasantly surprised. Totally. It's been fun. I've liked having the Legion of Superheroes on Supergirl. Yeah. Uh, Arrow has had a couple of really good episodes lately. What has helped is the actor playing the current big bad is a guy named Kirk Acevedo, who was in um, – he was the one of the co-stars of 12 Monkeys – He's been – if you saw pictures of him, you would probably think, oh, that guy. He is really a great actor. He is a really scary, cool, badass actor. Mm. And so he is elevating at least the last few episodes of Arrow beyond what the quality of the show deserves. Uh, and Flash has a non-speedster bad guy, and the show has been kind of interesting because of it. I don't know how you do it, man. You should give a, you should give a college course watching <laughs> comic book television and how to stick yeah. with it it's I, I haven't even gotten halfway through jj i can't do it there you have it I people have it's my first official admission five. you know what though i've been getting hit up on social media by a lot of people being like where's all your jessica jones stuff and i will say it right now people i cannot get through jessica jones season two i love the first season so much i don't feel like subjecting myself with a less than 50 percent chance it seems like i'm going to like what's gonna happen yeah i i I wish I could convince you, but I watched five episodes and then I started to get behind on network TV and I, and I then started watching critical role weekly, which takes up an extra four hours and I have not gone back to it. When the mainstream primetime shows go off the air for the summer, I'll finish up Jessica Jones. So in like three weeks, well, look, 
if it's not Maybe. fun, if it's just dark and not engaging and not fun, why, why rather watch a corny fucking CW show that's at least fun, right? I mean, yeah. and that's, that's I guess, ultimately was my comment about the Joss Whedon Avengers is like, I don't just want Ant-Man on one side and Infinity War on the other. I want like, a, you know, like the Avengers or like Winter Soldier, like some middle ground where it can be serious, like the best Arrow episodes or the best Flash episodes where it can be somewhat serious and more adult, but fun and funny at the same time. Hope we don't just get like one or the other. So, yeah, I mean, who knows? I, I some reviews I have read said it does turn around pretty like episode six or That's seven. That's what I right? heard. I heard six or seven. Yeah. Um, you know, it still has funny moments like there's a great one where i'm not going to spoil what happens but something emotionally damaging happens to trish not violent or anything like that she didn't get raped or anything like that but something happens to her that she feels really down about and jessica's like do you do you want a hug or something you hate hugs i know but i'll give you a hug if you want she said Uh and trish goes i'd rather just not talk about it and jess is like fine with me i got repressed feelings for days (laughs) Um, that's a pretty good joke but so far i'm just not feeling it Um, well it's the same thing that happened with me with homeland which was like i was sticking with homeland because i love claire dane so much but eventually it's great as the lead actor actress is you need the surrounding material to keep it working for me personally. Now I've heard Homeland has actually gotten better in the last couple of seasons. So I don't know, but that's, that's sort of the similar thing I'm experiencing with Jessica Jones. It's tough, but um, all right, man. Well, thank you so much for being on. I think this was exactly the single one exhaustive review of the movie. I want to do. Um, I don't know what else I have to say. I don't know what that says about the movie that I really liked it and give it a high rating, but I also don't have a lot of specific feelings about it. Maybe it's just going to take time. Um, so, yeah, your final thoughts and we'll wrap up. I think two and a half hours constitutes a lot of feeling. That's I true. Mean, we were all over the place, though. We were definitely all over the place. But yeah. that's, that's good in these conversations. So, so we'll have to say, you know, I, I, again, I would love if the TV model panned out for comic book stuff. I think it works so well, the episodic nature and stuff. Um, it will be interesting to see, you know, everyone getting their own networks, the DC network, the Disney network, like what, that, what kind of havoc that's going to wreak on, on everything else. So, um, all right, man. Final, uh, what's your p- parting thought to the Bizzlecast audience? Go check out Infinity War. I mean, it's made like a billion dollars, so you probably already have. But, you know, this is a nice victory lap for this studio. Not that they needed it, but, you know, they had this one-two punch of Black Panther and Infinity War. I think Disney and Kevin Feige are feeling pretty damn good about themselves, and I think they've got the right to right now. Just uh, sorry to keep tacking on questions, but I I have to ask this one, and then we'll really end. Which is, do you think Kevin Feige again? Kevin Feige is like George Lucas; he'll he'll never admit his failures um, because he's normally successful. I guess he's been better record than George Lucas, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Do you think he realized that it was becoming a little generic and has loosened the reins a little bit the last couple of years? Yes, and I think he recognized that the best way to get the most to be blunt, financial value out of these properties is to not hold a choke, you know, a choke leash around these directors. You know, mm-hmm. he let Ryan Coogler make, as far as I can tell, like that was non-negotiable. Sorry, the, maybe the, it, that one it hiring wasn't. Was, no, no, I was gonna say Ryan Coogler would have never taken the job without full control over like the social political aspect. I don't think. 
I think that's probably true, but I think Kevin Feige never considered doing anything otherwise. I think he recognized mm. that letting one of his movies take a stand was the best way to represent the characters, and it would have negatively affected both how the movie was thought of and its box office if they tried to make a movie all about Africa and black identity, not about that. And he let Taika Waititi make the Thor movie that Taika Waititi felt like making. And for everybody except maybe you, it was the best Thor movie we've gotten so far. Except maybe Infinity War, which was a pretty damn good Thor movie. It was a fucking good yeah, Thor movie. Um, word up, man. Well, I'm sure I will have you on before the thing I'm about to mention, hopefully, because this is like six months away. <clears throat> But I was thinking, leading up to Creed 2, it would be interesting to do a uh, sports and movies podcast um, down the road, which gives me time to catch up on a lot of those movies that I haven't seen in a long (laughs) fucking time. Yeah. Like, when I was a kid, I couldn't get enough of that shit, but it's been so long. I need to, you know, I I thought that that would be, like, fun. And that was also a comment about how horrifically dry this summer is for movies. Mm. And I'm probably going to end up watching things like J.J. and Game of Thrones and stuff like that just because there's nothing going on in the movie theaters this summer, so. I don't think you're going to watch Game of Thrones. I try all the time, man. I, I get close. <laughs> I think you'll try, but try, I try and watch all the time. Things. Well, maybe uh, maybe f- re falling in love yet again with Amelia Clark and Han Solo will be enough. Who knows? We'll see. Um, all right, buddy. Well, thanks so much, uh, people. You can check out Matt on Twitter at uh, Matt Goisman CCT M A T T G O I S M A N C C T as in Cape Cod Times. Awesome. The other thing I realized, man, is that listening to my old podcast is I used to be diligent about promoting my various sites up front, and now I'm completely sloppy and forget to do yeah. it all the time. So self-promotion is an important thing. So thank you, Absolutely. buddy, so much as usual. Um, you know, Glad we got so much discussion out of a movie where we had only like one and a half major disagreements, basically. Um, sometimes that can be tough, but I think we're, we see mostly eye to eye on what's going on here, which is great. I'm happy. I'm happy for everybody. We're getting to get entertainment. I do think the Disney monopoly could be a problem, but I'm not too worried about it at the moment. So um, thank you, BizzleCast listeners. Thank you to Manny. Really appreciate you all listening. It's been a great couple months again for the BizzleCast listeners. Definitely have tons of Han Solo stuff coming up and other things, so stay tuned. We'll be getting back at you soon, but for the moment, we are out. <laughs>